Duncan. And I'm Harry. Yay! And this is Game what? of Microphones, episode 26, I think. Ooh. Yeah, man. Too bad we don't have a very good episode to talk about this week, but we'll just oh, forge through. What a bummer. Anyway. <laughs> I was just telling Duncan and Harry, I have the most notes I've ever had for any podcast in my whole six years of podcasting. <laughs> I have 20 pages of notes here. <laughs> I can't possibly cover it all. But anyways, before we get into that, I want to welcome Harry. This is your first appearance on Game of Microphones, but you are part you are partner in Podcastica and you have your Podcast Junkies podcast. So welcome. That's nice. Welcome, to be here. Harry. Thanks, guys. I'm excited. Yeah, really excited awesome. to have you aboard. And of course, everyone knows Duncan of the Still Smug Book Talk section fame. <laughs> Among other things, are you gonna put that on a business card? Oh yeah, still smug, baby. That's a good idea. You're one of the least smug persons I know, probably. By the way, uh, I would say thank you. Except maybe in jest sometimes. Oh yeah, japery. <laughs> so here we go. It's our top three highlights of Game of Thrones season six, episode nine, Battle of the Bastards, which first off is probably one of my favorite titles of any oh, yeah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to I want I kept wanting to post on Facebook Battle of the Bastards guys aren't you excited but I some people are so averse to spoilers that even that would have been too much you know so I didn't do it because yeah we knew I think it's that good meant. that you like that you care about that type of thing you know yeah. well you got you got to stay off because I was uh wandering on like a and because we're on a different time zone too because we're on the west coast so mm-hmm. I was like I seen comments like yeah best episode ever and I was like oh, oh. So yeah. shut down Facebook shut down you Twitter. turn it off yeah <laughs> anyway before we get into our top three just in general what are your general thoughts on it epic epic mm-hmm. I mean just it's gonna be so much to talk about but i think i, I mean i was stand, it was one, there's probably only two or three episodes in, in all of game of thrones where i had to stand up and i had to watch all almost all of it just like literally like standing up on in my living room <laughs> staring at the screen and my wife's like sit down i'm like i can't, I can't. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> is she yes. into it like yeah. you are yeah, yeah totally duncan i agree this episode was amazing outstanding just visually mind-blowing Every every scene just was there's just chaos everywhere. My heart rate was elevated to probably three thousand percent the average rate, and <laughs> I felt like I was suffocating when Jon Snow was being buried in those mm-hmm. bodies. It's <laughs> so. this I know, and that's what was so awesome about that part. I mean, this episode's really interesting to me because it's it's groundbreaking filmmaking i would say in some ways and agreed one of the best episodes if not the best of the series and also it's one of 
of a series that's known for pulling the rug out from under you and just making you go, oh my God, it's one of the more conventional storytelling wise. You know, there's a lot of gray area in the series. This had more black and white. So it's in some ways, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but in some ways it's more conventional. And then in other ways, it's just phenomenally extreme. So yeah, and it's interesting that one of the more conventional episodes is also one of the higher scoring in terms of rankings that I've seen around the web. Right. Like, for instance, on IMDb this morning, uh, the episode is rated 10 out 10. of 10 stars. Yeah. Wow, that's intense. I mean, part yeah. of that is this show is so good at making us feel like a bittersweet or, or just tragedy that when they give us something like this that's so satisfying and someone who really deserves to get their due gets it, yeah, we built up this so longing for something. But like it's this. You're, you're, <laughs> you, you just never know because they've done so much throughout the the whole series. When you're you're you just don't expect something to happen, and then the music comes in, and just you just lose a crazy character. And then oh. this was like there was all those times when something like that was about to happen. I'm like, oh man! And they have the like mm-hmm. sad music coming in when the like, yes. John's getting suffocated or like, Oberyn really? in the in the <laughs> battle. Uh, yeah, yeah. You thought maybe that would happen again it's right like, now. Oh man! Here Huge shout again. out to Ramin Javadi, the uh, composer for this show, who's just been killing it. Killing it lately, tugging on the the heartstrings with the music big time. Well, I just wanted to say before we get into Trap 3 that you know it's an amazing episode when there's three full-size dragons, one being ridden by Daenerys Targaryen, laying waste to a fleet of ships, and that takes second fiddle to the other battle in the episode. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching that part, just thinking, what has this show become? Yeah. (laughs) Well, if it starts with that, then you just know like what kind of episode you're in for. Right. Oh, yeah. All right, let's get into our top three. Uh, let's let Harry go first. Uh, I got to go with uh, Yara and Danny. Uh, let's get it on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> that was so fun to watch, man. I was I was waiting for some like uh, just sexy music, sexy time music. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, I mean, it was there was everything there. The 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 looks they were giving each other, the look yep. of Tyrion's face, and it was just like mm-hmm. the whole sexual tension in those couple of minutes was awesome. I but believed Daenerys it. Was shooting it right back at her. Yes, and she, yeah, <laughs> she, she. It, it, there was some definite heat going on there, and oh, I loved it. And uh, sometimes I feel like this season is uh, an answer or retribution for last season when they were getting so much flack for how horribly they've treated women and they've done that throughout the whole series and so now you know Sansa giving Ramsay what he deserves but also this scene with the two strong women just talking about how oh men don't think women can rule whatever <laughs> you know, I'll yeah, how about that? For you. This season, man, the uh, the women are overturning the patriarchal society of yeah, Westeros like crazy. Totally. We got the Sand yeah. Snakes and Alaria and Dorne. Got Sansa rising in the north. Daenerys and um, and Yara stepping up big time, mm-hmm. making a pact today. And uh, if Varys is going out down to Dorne to uh, to meet people to raise a rebellion in in Westeros, then it's just going to be women running the show during this massive rebellion. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. That scene had my favorite exchange of the episode. It was Theon says, uh, the Iron Fleet isn't all he's bringing. He also wants to give you, Yara says, his big cock, I think he said. Yeah. And Yara says, your offer is also an offer of marriage, you see. You won't get one without the other, Danny says. And I imagine your offer is free of any marriage demands. Yara says, I never demand, but I'm up for anything, really. 
almost died when you said that. Yara was, Yara was tit for tat. Like every comment was yeah. like, uh, "Oh yeah, you know, your 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 father was like a bastard," and she's like, "Yeah, yours yours wasn't too hot either." And at the end, yeah, I mean, we both da- have that affliction. <laughs> yeah, and Danny said like everyone in the room actually has a pretty shitty father, uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. we want to do it was better. Aired on Father's Day. Yeah, there's Tywin, Eris, <laughs> and, and Tywin was Greyjoy. killed on Father's Day two years ago. <laughs> yeah. so I mean, yeah, it's uh, that was good because I had been questioning whether Danny, with her yearning for conquering and that mad, crazy look she got in her eye when she first got on Drogon a couple episodes ago, oh it, man. maybe she's just as bad as anyone. But at least we see that she has the intention and the awareness that the leaders that came before didn't do a good job and that she wants to do better and as she said leave the world a better place than what she found so that's cool definitely and i was terrified for the beginning of this episode as well because she had this sort of mad stare going on with her eyes kind of half closed and like really just intensely looking around when she's Mm -hmm. talking to the slavers when she's talking to Tyrion, and it it just seemed like mad queen daenerys was standing there in full force but kudos to Tyrion for talking her off the ledge, man. It's like, hey, yeah, we saw how that ended time. up last time, and mm-hmm. you might want to tone it down a bit. <laughs> yeah, it was very smart. He said, uh, instead of just killing everyone, uh, he didn't say his plan, but we can surmise that it was, well, let's just have the dragons take out a few of these ships to show your strength, and we'll kill a couple of these guys and send the one guy back to tell him what you can do and get yeah. everybody else in line. Yeah. <laughs> Grey Worm. Yeah, shout out this execution. <laughs> shout out to Grey Worm for the Marcus Zaro right there. That was I know. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, Tyrion was uh, I expected him to say, "I said, I said one," but he was like, "Nah, I guess it's all right." Two's it's, fine. It's it's hilarious too. Sometimes in like superhero movies or cartoons, you know, the the uh, someone will like jump across the screen with a samurai sword and like wah, slice yeah. three people's mm-hmm. heads off, and they kind of like hold the pose there, like a like a you know like a badass, and it sort it sort of comes off cheesy at times. But in this episode, Grey Worm slices both those guys' throats and is just standing yeah. there holding the pose, and it just worked. And so symbolic because, I mean, for one thing, it's a dumb idea to appeal to Grey Worm by saying, this guy's lowborn, so you should kill him. Mm. So dumb. He doesn't speak for us. Not a oh, very well, good idea. it sounds like that's the one we want to survive. Then. And then he sort of kneeled humbly, and that left the other two standing there proudly in perfect position to have their throats slit. <laughs> Something to be said for keeping those knives really well sharpened. Then. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, one more just thing on that scene with uh, Yara and, and Daenerys. I, I liked that she didn't want to give up on all the reaving, roving, raiding, and raping, but that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. That was well, they, I love how they set up that scene with the, because uh, they had the previous scene with Yara where she was like in the, in the, where all the, the prostitutes and harlots were hanging out and she was like hanging out, making out with that, that other uh, prostitute. And she was like, oh, oh, yeah. She loves the women. And they're like, okay. And that's yeah. Set, set it up nicely. Set the this. stage. Yeah. yeah. The brothel on the high, the long bridge of Volantis. Yeah. She's basically uh, a guy. Yeah. <laughs> She's more of a guy than Theon at this yeah. point. Yeah. Right, oh. Right. Ooh, low blow. No, yeah, too soon? All right. Uh, Duncan, <laughs> number three. My number three is this episode visually, and that includes cinematography and uh, computer graphics. Like uh, the dragons, for instance, they looked phenomenal in this episode. There's mm. a couple shots where one where where Daenerys just swoops down on a dragon and sort of lifts up as a dragon starts to rise up through the wind. And then immediately following that, the other two break out of their, their basement prison and come to join Drogon in the sky. 
and um, there's just flying in tandem and it just looked so good so realistic I'm watching you know at, at a good nine feet on a 50 inch plasma screen so I can get the full definition of the 1080p and it looked amazing flawlessly done very we need impressive. to see this in virtual reality where we're, we have a saddle so we can be on top <laughs> oh. of the dragon <laughs> that'd be fun <laughs> yeah or the giant I the think giant? the giant looks oh, like totally real. Uh, yeah, the giant's just one, some of the right? shots, these like one, landscape one. shots. Yeah, one one one, one way Gwondar one. Like, no, these but landscape I, shots. Or, yeah, go ahead. No, I was wondering to talk about Daenerys riding the dragon. Just, like, does she always have the same things she hold on to when she like those two horns? <laughs> Good like, question. Okay, these are my I was horns, wondering like, about that. And this is yeah. my space. This is my my saddle. Like, <laughs> she looks pretty confident. She steers <laughs> the slightest tug on the left, you know, spine, and mm. the dragon knows to turn. <laughs> Right. Squeeze them both, and he shoots fire. <laughs> I'm wondering how is how is she able to control these dragons so precisely well, all of a sudden? Yeah, I mean, I think it was. <laughs> I think I mean, I would suggest that she has some kind of a telepathic connection with them now. Yeah, Probably. I mean, it it makes perfect sense. Uh, dragon blood. They always say the Targaryens have the Starks have the blood of the North, and they have these connections mm. with their direwolves. At least Bran. I mean, and, she uh, she was you know, able to sense Drogon a couple episodes ago. And yeah. Hold on a second and go off and hop on. Mm-hmm. And now she's able yeah, to control hint. him to such a degree that she can stage this whole really imposing entrance, you know, where she gets to talk to the slave masters for a little while and then right on cue, Drogon comes up. Yeah, the then, negotiations for surrender. Right. And then right after that, the other two dragons join her. So it was seemed very choreographed. And I, I know just from like doing Walker Stucker that it's tough to get things choreographed like that, much <laughs> less a couple of dragons. So I yeah. think she's... <laughs> I, love, I love how they broke out right at the moment when Drogon is like flying over and you're like, you see below and you're like, they did some sort of C4 explosive on the wall or something like that. <laughs> yeah, just smashed out. I was like, what? How do they do that? <laughs> And then the, the just the graphics of them destroying the ships was pretty cool too. Yeah. The fire and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I loved how they were smart enough to target one ship to show all these other bastards. Like, don't fuck right. with us because they didn't want to destroy all the ships. She That's, needs yeah, them. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> Very well played. Well, I love how I love how you see all the other the guys on the other ships just jumping out. You see like the little men jumping. Oh, out. I didn't notice that. <laughs> they were like and, th- at the ship that was like next to them. They were, you could just see them like just yeah. jumping off like ants. Okay, yeah. that's enough. <laughs> another thing to note about that too was that that dragon fire was so hot that it literally split that first ship in two. Right. Just split yeah. it right down the middle. Because I didn't, you know, I the first time I watched it, I didn't pay close. I was like just amazed by it and sort of dumbfounded and then the second time i was like well wait a minute she needs those ships so were the dragons mm-hmm. able to set fire to the men on the ships without destroying the ships and it's like oh no <laughs> those ships were toast but they only must have destroyed like two or three of them and then everybody else surrendered yeah i was worried going into it because i knew that um the ironborn were on the way so i thought that maybe they would be like a hammer and anvil type situation where the walls of marine would be the anvil the uh, the slaver's fleet would be the the uh, the nail, for instance, and then the hammer would be the Greyjoys coming in from behind. So I was worried that the dragons might not know to differentiate between friends and foes, and that you know right. a lot of this fleet would be destroyed. Where are those dragons right now? Chilling. Which they're 
going oh, around roasting some sheep, probably. <laughs> probably. Man, when they're hungry. They've been down there for a while. So, uh, but Drogon before we get off big. visual effects, I, just the a couple of things with the giant, because that's another one that jumps out yeah, at me. Please. Just how he looked so, so good. But he tore that one dude in half. <laughs> that was awesome. And then he, like, smacked a horse to the side, and you heard it go, <laughs> And Which, that horse had a headless rider on it. Do you guys do you yeah, know, know that? Oh, yeah, it was a <laughs> Sleepy Hollow thing going on there. Yeah, he rode by without a head, and John kind of looked up like, what the hell was that with Tormund? There's just blood squirting out, yeah, yeah. arterial pulses, and then uh, one one just, boom, wrecks it. There was another scene where John was fighting somebody in the battle, and then a horse just rammed right into the dude and carried him off screen, and then John's like, all right, some fight somebody else now. <laughs> yeah, John's <laughs> sitting there, and oh, oh, the guy, when the when the horse actually hit the guy that John yeah, was fighting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was hilarious. I mean, just the, just the epic nature of the, the whole scene, you just... I just I was getting nervous. I was just like with everything that was going on. Obviously, a yeah. lot of it is is the CGI because they only use I think like forty or eighty horses. I think what it was, they were they were saying in in one of the the other oh, wow. follow ups. But but the fact that they were just made you feel like you were literally like in the middle of it, and he's just turning left and right, and things are he's just missing mm-hmm. stuff, and you're like, whoa, what, how's he getting so lucky? But then it's like, okay, maybe it's prophecy that he's he's yeah. meant, to get, yeah. meant to get this far, right? Yeah, they showed, right, maybe like, the Lord of Light is actually on his yeah, side. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was one of my notes is like, are we seeing divine intervention take place here? There's waves and waves of arrows. You know, Ramsey's like notch, draw, loose, just launching hundreds and hundreds of arrows, and they're just falling in nice tight circles right around Jon Snow. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO with all the Stormtrooper <laughs> fire. Yeah. <laughs> Bolton sequels. No, that one. Well, the, the two things on the arrows is that, one, you know, as they keep coming in waves, he just turns turns his back on 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 one wave and he just they they like hit everyone else around him <laughs> yeah he like kind of drops under his knees and turns yeah. his back and, and then <laughs> it's a little like a, ridiculous yeah, to be honest but then but the i love the one shot of i think the first wave of arrows and you just follow the arrow and you're up in the air and the arrow is like right at your yeah. eye level and you're just like seeing like it's arcing yeah. oh, you hear the whistling of the winds oh, so suddenly you're very far away from the battle and then all of a sudden you're right back in it yeah yeah they did the same yeah. thing with the first shot of the episode with the uh, the launch in marine where yes. that, uh, the, the black pitch yes. fireball yeah. yeah they show yeah. like this tar ball or whatever being placed into the catapults and then they light it on fire and then it, you see it shoot off yeah that was an awesome way to start the episode it was I it was and I thought it was the uh, that was at Winterfell for a second. Oh, uh, just just for a second. But okay, my turn. So number three is that this episode kind of is a climax to a few things that have long been coming. People have been waiting for Ramsey to get what's coming for him. Oh yeah, Jon Snow to activate as a leader mm-hmm. and do something other than protect the wall. Uh, the Starks to retake Winterfell. And even Littlefinger to make a move. that That's a lesser thing, but he's been talking about that for a while. Uh, Danny to utilize these dragons in battle. So all the all these things that we've been waiting for have uh, suddenly happened all in one episode, which I think is awesome. But it just brought to mind to me how Game of Thrones is an amazing show. And also, a lot of times people are stuck places. And you want them to get, come on, get going, get out of there. Like uh, Tyrion... And Danny, especially Danny and Marine. Yeah. Like, okay, enough with that. Or uh, Arya at the House of Black and White, Sansa at King's Landing. She was stuck there with Joffrey at first, and then with Ramsay at Winterfell later. Ned 
at King's Landing. Well, I guess you could say he was stuck there, called to be Hand of the King. He didn't seem like he really wanted to be there. Theon, Theon. and Ramsey's basement. Oh, you're just going to say yes. that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and uh, even before that, he was prisoner of the Starks yeah. for most yes. of his life. Ward, I think the term is. <laughs> yeah, Ward. <laughs> uh, Jon Snow stuck up at the wall. But things have been loosening up on multiple fronts lately, especially in this episode. For example, Dario arrives with the Dothraki army to fight the Sons of the Harpy, and just everything else that's happening in Marine made me wonder, okay, Tyrion says the economy's doing well. Maybe Marine, Danny's problems with Marine will be largely over after this, and maybe it'll be time for her to move on. I don't know. One can only hope, I would say. Um, and then we've seen Starks walking away from all these things lately. Jon walked away from the wall. Arya walked out of the house of black and white and said she was going home. And in this episode, Sansa walks away from the uh, corpse of Ramsay as it's being devoured by his dogs. And so that's... Uh, don't know. forget uh, Rickon walking away from Ramsay. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> he didn't walk at first. Yeah. You have to <laughs> run, remember? Too far. He should have ran faster. <laughs> so it yeah, just he should have serpentined like, also. Yeah, what's up a, with that? <laughs> a lot of satisfaction going on is what I'm saying. Yeah, lots of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. It's like this episode was just like a giant level up for the show and mm -hmm. in a number of different ways. Well, after disappointing, you know, people for so long with, you know, turns and just killing off characters, it's almost nice to see, like, there's actually some comeuppance and, you know, he's, you know, George R. R. Martin is not that much of a bastard, you know, that he's going yeah. <laughs> to totally pull the rug every single time out from under us. See, I wonder because um, I feel like, you know, we're, we're get, definitely getting into areas now that aren't covered by the books that have already been released. And this makes me wonder whether or not they're, I, I feel like George R. R. Martin has been more distant from the show lately. He used to write episodes and now he doesn't. And he said a couple of things in the news that made me feel like he's been dissatisfied with the way just little things have been going. Really? So I wonder if I, I, I don't like that. And even though I do feel satisfied by all this, I have to admit there's a part of me that's like, oh, don't stray too far from what makes Game of Thrones great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's like, well, maybe at the end of the Game of Thrones story, that is when the good guys get to win. Yeah. So I'm sort of on the fence about all that. But I do worry. And I wish they would just get George R. R. Martin in to write a couple of episodes here and there. You know, he doesn't need to hurry up and write the books anymore so much since the show's already passed it up. So I'd like him to write a couple episodes. Yeah, that'd be cool. And maybe, you know, maybe every masochist likes a kiss better than a, than a punch every <laughs> once in a while. You know, like this audience is just a bunch of masochists that enjoy being punished by the show repeatedly and repeatedly. And then yet yeah, one of the highest rating rated episodes at this point is one where there's big victories in our favor. So, yeah, I mean, I even after everything I've been talking about, I land on the side of I'm happy to see the good guys win here and that there to be a payoff. Yeah. There's some come, come up and yeah. needed every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely. wouldn't, but we have two more seasons left. Yeah. You know, if this just becomes a conventional show now where the good guys win most of the time and there's no more rug pulling out, I, I'm not going to like that. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it's I'm going sure to, there's still be, a lot you, of you people we like. Yeah. There'll be some beloved, yeah. beloved characters. <laughs> We still got plenty of people to lose. Plenty of ways they can torture us. Okay, thanks, guys. I feel better now. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> All right, Harry. Uh, I think just coming back to the battle, it's just the, the the overall theme of like the horrors of war. 
And I, I'm thinking back to yes. like past movies, maybe Saving Private Ryan, Braveheart. Yes. But just the bo- the bodies piling up, and and you know that's re- apparently like that's what happened in, in some of the Civil War battles, um, and just just kind of like the whole ugliness of war was just really really front and center. I mean, and and the way they did it was just so in your face that you're like, this is so brutal, and just a horrible way to like conduct i mean now it's a bit cleaner with drones and stuff but you don't even think about the fact that this is literally how war was waged back in the day yeah it was it seemed very authentic and part of that i think a lot of the battle was sort of shown from john snow's point of view yeah. yep so it made it feel more personal uh, harry i mean i know was there a part of you that was like oh man this isn't good for my soul i don't want to be seeing this <laughs> you know what's so funny because i think i don't that happens more, I think, with something like Walking Dead than, than Game of Thrones. Because I, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's almost horror, but it, I'm not, not not saying it's justified horror, but it's it's just the ugliness of war, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it is what it is, and you know, it, I want, whoever's left standing is is winning, and and in order to do that, I mean, they they had the guy with no legs crawling up the. The, the the body of mountain. Yep, and the, one the, second before that, another guy screaming, "Help me!" Yeah, yeah you it know? was just no one's gonna help that guy. Sort nope. of, but the the way the camera was moving reminded me a lot of that scene uh, from the Revenant when they had the uh, the attack on the camp with the uh, mm. in the incident. It was just you were just jumping back and forth, and you're like, "What's going on? Like, who do I follow? Like, who's gonna die next?" And 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 it was just crazy how they were just stepping on each other, and it was it was gruesome, but it was it was fascinating to watch. Oh. It was it was portrayed very intensely. Like they really got the horror of of the scene to to shine through. There was that part where um, before the battle, when John was talking to Sansa, and he said, "You know, I fought worse than Ramsay north of the Wall." And maybe on an individual basis, you know, brainless whites and White Walkers might be worse than Ramsay, you know, as a person. But this battle was just horrific. And easily contended with anything, any anything that uh, happened at Hardhome, like the level of just purely like organized diabolical, you know, scheming and and the level of organization that with all these arrows flying everywhere, these yeah. the the guys with the shields forming the phalanx around them, it's it's scary what organized humans with evil intent can do as opposed to brainless whites. Yeah. Well, not only that, but the battles that Jon Snow has fought that we've seen have been very straightforward. And this battle had a lot of psychology going on in it. Yeah. And, uh, I don't want to get into that though. Cause that's going to be my next point. So <laughs> where, where are we? Are we, we are it, at my number two, I number believe. Two. Yeah. Duncan's number two. And my number two, uh, going to back to the authenticity of the battle and what I just mentioned, um, the phalanx forming, that's actually my number two is the, the phalanx, that Ramsey sent out to enclose the, um, you know, Jon Snow's group of the wildlings, the the, the uh, Mormonts, and the Stark forces um, up against that body wall. You guys know what a phalanx is? It's a- <laughs> yes. That sounds very phalanxy. Yeah, I I loved that. It was I've never seen anything quite like the way that was presented before, and I loved it because it seemed kind of alien because you couldn't see the people, mm-hmm. 
and the coordination of it i don't know it just the visual was amazing and it looked like oh shit oh shit it was kind of like the garbage <laughs> compactor scene in uh, oh, star wars but it's just oh, the, yeah. the, the genius well the, it's like the strategic aspect of it of like Ram, you know if, if that's ramsey's call or just the fact that he's directing these troops you know from the, the top of the hill and it seems like at that point like it's that you know the chess piece the chess game and he's he's made this one move that you're like holy shit like how the hell are they, are they gonna get out of that one yeah and the thing is when uh, davos what you know the night before they were talking battle strategy sansa's like you think you upset him but you if you're playing his game you're gonna lose you can't yeah. You know, he's not going to fall for your tricks. And and then Davos says they wanted to coke Ramsey to the center and then surround him on three sides. And and John said that they were digging trenches so the opposing army couldn't attack them from all sides. Mm -hmm. So if they had stuck to that where they had lay, uh, they also said, you know, you have to be patient, lay back. We, we need them to charge us. So if they stuck to that, then Ramsey's army supposedly would have charged them. They would have been in this protected area where that maneuver wouldn't have worked because of the trenches but instead john did exactly what sansa warned him against which mm -hmm. was to let him they, sansa also told him rickon's not going to survive this don't even think about it so if if uh john snow would have just listened to sansa and not fallen for it but instead he charged out to try and save rickon and then his loyal men followed him out into vulnerable unprotected ground and then that phalanx happened so he, he blew it. And then the only reason that they were saved is because Sansa had the foresight to write that letter to Littlefinger. So Sansa tried to save the day in one way, but Jon Snow wouldn't listen to her. And then her plan B came into action and she saved it. John basically did everything that was the opposite of what Sansa said to yeah. do. Like, don't, yeah. don't go out to, don't let him play you. Don't let him like do right. some reverse strategy. And he literally fell into every single trap that Ramsey laid and out. And there's a part of me that loves him for it. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, right. He, that's his whole heart <laughs> on his sleeve. He's like, I don't yeah. give a shit. Like, and also he may have listened to her more intently and uh, followed you know her instructions more intently if he had all the information she withheld the fact that they would be reinforced by you know 10 times the soldiers That's which is true. kind yeah. of an sort of brings up an interesting concept because if mm -hmm. um you know she she was real quick to write off rick on say you know it's not we're not going to get him back um you need to focus on what's important you know winning strategically which is a valid point but then she allows john snow to put himself in a position of, of risking everything and risking his own life, potentially sacrificing it, you know, when she knew that they would have reinforcements coming along. So, so how much do we know about the timing on that, though? Good question. It's really hard to tell on this show. Because he said, he said, you go with the army that you have. Mm -hmm, and they, yeah. were, where they were arguing I back mean, and forth. There is an argument to be made that Sansa should have told him hey i wrote this letter we may be getting reinforcements you might want to wait a little while and until and we get a response or something you know? remember that scene when baelish said you know planted the seed of doubt in her mind and said he's your half brother yeah you know just like catelyn thought that he would be a threat to the, right. to the standing of her children you know that seed of doubt has been planted in sansa's mind maybe she was willing to let john sacrifice himself and remove himself from her control, you know, from, from being an object preventing her from being in control, theoretically, in order to to clear the way for herself, knowing the veil was going to come in to help. 
so that she would be the top dog no matter what and john wouldn't be able to create a military Do you think that's what's going on i don't know i mean i don't think so i hope not but look at sansa no, you know she was she was never like she was always kind of um like sort of she was the bratty one a little bit she lied about what aria what happened with aria and um and nymeria and claimed that nymeria and aria attacked joffrey when it was really joffrey who was the aggressor and it resulted in her direwolf being put down and you know nymeria being lost and so this this kind of prissy bratty girl sort of goes through a whole bunch of psychological and and physical torment and now it has a chance to be in a position of power how much has her psychology changed with the influence of Littlefinger behind her? She could be, you know, he could be pushing her towards this scheming, mm. manipulative um, direction, which may not be the way we want her character to go. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, if I, that, I don't necessarily if that think it's that did happen. I, you know, my first thought is no, no, no. But I'm, but now I'm like, yes, actually, that would be more of okay. Game of Thrones is back to its old self, right? <laughs> if Sansa yeah, one of the one of the stars. Yeah, one of the Stark because the Starks have, I mean, tradition is for traditionally been like everyone's hero, right? And and you know, yeah, what, noble what if and honorable. Yeah, what if there's one that just totally mm-hmm. flips the script and gets Benedict Arnold on us? But I would be surprised. I I don't think that's what's going on. But I but yeah, maybe, I hope not. Maybe I mean, I tears of so. joy are shed when Stark <laughs> banners, you know, fall over Winterfell again for the first time in years. But then immediately we get mm-hmm. a gut punch when a Stark goes bad. <laughs> well, yeah. speaking of, you know, even though um, Jon Snow didn't heed any of Sansa's advice, when she confronted uh, Ramsay the day before, she said, you're going to die tomorrow, Lord, Lord Bolton, sleep well. I thought there was a pretty good chance she was right. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, she, she was certainly oh, yeah. confident. <laughs> yeah. We knew she had a little finger in her back pocket, <laughs> so, so to speak. <laughs> oh, speaking of that, um, I guess HBO released a higher definition picture of the letter that she wrote to the Vale, and yeah. in it, it, it mentions that he would be compensated um, to some degree for you know putting everything on the line and bringing the Vale people in after she had told him off, essentially. So I wonder what what's in it for him. What why he wants to help? You know, is he really in it for Sansa, or is there some type of type of bonus waiting for him? They teased a little bit out in uh next episode so oh a little conversation happening there so. yeah interesting but dunk doesn't like to hear about that kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> all right my yeah. turn right so we already covered a bunch of my points which is good but i'm gonna just talk about a few more things about the battle itself that i enjoyed i liked seeing everyone standing in formation ahead of time and just quietness mm-hmm. you know the the calm before the storm with ominous music and then there were like a, f- a few flayed burning men set out on the battlefield for decoration <laughs> which i kind of wondered where i did i was wondering about guys. that too but they prepared <laughs> just a few guys out from the like <laughs> yeah or was it prisoners or what um i like that it was from john's point of view um when he's all alone out there and the bolton forces are charging at him right after Rickon gets killed and there's dramatic music music swelling up in the background. He pulled out his sword and then he threw his scabbard away. Oh, kind of took a breath. And I thought that meant he thought, well, I'm not going to need this ever again. Yeah. I'm about to die. Yeah. <laughs> that was that my was favorite good. shot of the whole episode was John standing there. The shot from behind where he, you know, first he's looking out over the army as the cavalry is closing in on him. 
and it just has this look where it's him versus the world and it just it's just looks totally hopeless he drops a scabbard mm-hmm. pulls out long claw and he's sort of bouncing there in a fight stance waiting for all those guys on the horses mm-hmm. that are just charging like, him do my best and yeah. there's no way he's gonna survive that if you look at at those horses they're so tightly packed together that if if the sword doesn't get him he's gonna get run down and trampled you know like yeah. there's no way there's that he no could possibly there. survive that and he he starts to charge at the last second right as his own cavalry catches up and overtakes they slam him together, and they yeah. slam together like <laughs> oh my god that side shot where they finally overtake him and clash with the other cavalry and there's just horses flying back and forth in every direction it was like the most intense dynamic change mm-hmm. i've ever seen yeah they, they oh. said when they're shooting that scene that the that cavalry was really coming up on them and their, their horses are so yeah. well trained that they can just pull them up at like the last moment but um, you know, Kit Harrington was like, "Yeah, the horses were pretty close." <laughs> yeah, the, apparently, yeah, there's yeah, lots of real scary. stunts going on, like people flying off horses, getting hit by swords. A lot of that was real stunts. The guy who directed it is Miguel Sapochnik, who also directed Hard Home. Yes, they brought him back in, and uh, I'd love to see him direct an episode of Walking Dead. By the way, oh but man, he said this is the most logistically complicated thing he's ever been involved in, and. Uh, in uh, the new section later, I'm going to read from a long interview where he talks about all the specifics and complexities of awesome. doing all this. Stuff. I mean, this this rivaled anything you can, you'd see in, in a movie theater easily. Absolutely. I was wondering yeah. when I was watching this how many how many film directors quit after seeing this episode. <laughs> I mean, it's better than even though some of the battles in Lord of the Rings are bigger. This this felt more visceral or something. Yes. Yeah. So so visceral. Uh, CGI is improving so much. I remember one of the first yeah. Lord of the Rings. It, it was pretty bad. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, another we've talked about a little bit. Jon Snow being trampled and buried under bo- bodies mm-hmm. oh. was very claustrophobic and and really um, not not like anything I've ever seen. And so great. And I found out, and you'll hear in this interview that that was all improvised mm. because the thing that they had planned on doing just wasn't going to work out. Wow. That was so, my number one. That's like, <laughs> yeah, that's, well, well, I won't talk about it too much. Oh, it's all right. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. So good. I really liked that Ramsey refused to fight John one-on-one. And then the, in the battle, John is right in the middle of it while Ramsey safely mm-hmm. away with his bowmen screaming at them to fire their arrows. Yeah. Another real interesting parallel that was drawn from that scene between, um, from Ramsey and John when he challenges him to the fight was that before that, you know, Grey Worm had said to the masters fighters, the slave fighters, you know, are you guys willing to, um, to fight for somebody who's definitely would not be willing to fight for you or mm-hmm. would you rather go home to your families? And they all dropped their swords, dropped their, or their spears and, and left the masters unprotected. And then after Ramsey turned down Jon Snow, he had said to him, you know, you think they'll fight for you when they find out you wouldn't fight for them? Right. So that means John Snow and Daenerys will make a great couple. Because <laughs> <laughs> they have the same values. Yeah, aunt and, and nephew, that'd be weird. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Uh, we don't have Harry. proof, so it's cool. Um, so mine is uh, like a, like a two-part of this whole uh, Sir Davos's incredible nighttime vision. 
where he's able to find <laughs> yeah oh, yes. in on. and then uh and then leading up to his you know his he's gonna have a uh, an encounter with melisandre and, and the fact that she, all she does she, apparently all she does is really just stare into fire <laughs> she seems very lost at this point she she used to be a lot more confident in her visions now she's sort of like well i get these signs and i just follow them and hopefully it all works out i don't really know yeah those are some of my notes i had miss melisandre is still so shell-shocked at this point she seems really yeah. unconfident and um i think one of the other things when john was asking her you know what's the purpose and she says oh maybe it just brought you back to die this time you know yeah I, before yeah, it's not very <laughs> inspiring she had said before with confidence to davos that Jon snow is the chosen one you know azora high resurrected he's the prince that was promised so i felt like her attitude change here may have reflected a change in her you know in the way that she believes the way she handled stannis working out like she told stannis you yeah. know you're the chosen yeah. one you're the prince that was promised and it affected their judgment and affected the way that they went about things. So maybe she feels like it's important that John isn't made over cocky or feels like he has mm. to live up to this, 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 um, this prophecy and it, that he'd be better on his own to do, to do it without influence, um, from this prophecy. When did she say that she thought John was the prince that was promised? Um, she was standing with Davos at castle black before Stannis died or after? Afterwards, it was it was this oh. season um, after John was resurrected. I, I think it was the next episode. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. And he's like, "Well, you thought Stannis was," and she's kind of like, "Yeah, right. yeah, you know." Do you think? Really do you feel think like uh, like uh, John is obviously in, indebted, you know, forever to to Melisandre for bringing him back? But I'm wondering if they now have some sort of connection that is going to play itself out beyond, you know, the conversation. Because I thought of all the people, like, he would talk to, like, the the fact that they spent a couple of minutes on, on the both of them, like, prior yeah. to the battle, you know, says something about what, what mm -hmm. is the fact that he wanted her uh, her feedback. and It uh, means something to him. Yeah. It is interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I had been wondering where the heck she's been the last few episodes. Um, but... It, I yeah, there's something about just I, they wanted to show the contrast in her. Um, and maybe they I don't know. That's a good question. They also just bringing up the Lord of Light and then how he seemed to have a lot of luck during the battle did make me think maybe he has the gods on his side. Yeah, that's a good. Point. He had a lot but, of luck. <laughs> speaking of Davos, for one thing, I really liked the little walk that he and Tormund took. Yeah, two fan you know, favorites together. So, some yeah some comic relief there yeah and also just the fact he you know Tormund's like you love that cunt stannis and i love the man he burned there there's an acknowledgement that they used to be on opposing sides but they're they now they're just like forget that we know what's important pretty now. impressive actually pretty cool what i like was uh Tor well Tormund was funny he had these couple of moments when uh, they were doing the, the they doing the battle strategy and and john was or, or, or i think that was talking about a pincer move and oh yeah like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and then Tormund was like like staring at them like like what? nothing knows nothing about like these like <laughs> battlefield terminology and stuff like that so his he, eyes kind of like flick back and like, forth like a cartoon oh, you mean like squeeze mm -hmm. people in a circle he's like okay I, I get that and then and then later when they're walking with davos he's like um the demon you know we saw demons in his eyes and he's like real real demons like did you really see yeah, yeah he's, <laughs> he's got this like he's very literal him. yeah for everything i thought it was funny. as far as like battle savviness i would say Tormund is to Jon Snow as Jon Snow is to Ramsay. 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. And then Davos finding that stag that he carved for Shireen. Do you guys think that he figured out what happened? Oh, just yeah. From seeing that. He yeah, saw that pyre. pyre. He looked back at the camp like, Melisandre, I know you did this. There yeah, was that I mean, that, look that's her he, MO, right? Oh, yeah. They had, a, right. they had hinted at it previously, so okay. he knew that it was an option. But um, yep. one other thing I wanted to say about um, Tormund and Davos walking along talking was something that Davos said. He said, maybe that was our mistake, believing in kings. Mm -hmm. And um, one of them says, well, Jon Snow's not a king, but you know what? Neither is Daenerys, you know? So it sets the stage for potentially the rise of a queen. Right. <laughs> I mean... It's interesting how this show continually has these epic episodes that it one-ups itself after the battle at um, Black Blackwater. Yeah, Black, uh, Castle Blackwater. Black, I mean, oh, yeah, Castle Black. Castle Black. Interestingly, and Castle Black and Blackwater were both filmed by the same director, too. And now we have Hard Home <laughs> and Winterfell battles that were filmed by the same director. A different director. Yeah. yeah. Yep, a different well, director. So yeah, that's right. Blackwater, then Castle Black, and then Hard Home. Each one one-upping itself. And then I would say this one, I know I love zombies, but this one probably one-upped yeah. Hard Home. Yeah. But we got to get to see, I think, the grandest battle of all are when the White Walkers attack. Oh, yeah. Oh, my and God. The second to last episode of the series. I can't even imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I hope there's like six or seven episodes of of that you know? just that battle i want to see those pale white hunting spiders <laughs> yeah maybe it won't just be one battle it's a, it's such a culmination i mean there's so much imbued in that battle like tying everything up and so much meaning in, in that that i they're gonna have to obviously top this one but there's a lot yeah i mean jason you were worried about oh what if they just start winning battles you know it won't be the show that we all fell in love in with uh well i think they're gonna lose a lot of battles to the white walkers as they make their way south mm. towards king's landing there's gonna be a lot of deaths of people that we like a lot of retreating from brave heroes that we like and don't want to see lose and uh there's gonna be a lot of tears before there's victory over the white there, walkers there's shortened seasons right the next two yeah supposedly yeah. I don't know if they've officially said it, but the word I've heard read is seven a, and six. A seven yeah. and six. Okay, Ugh, that's yeah, that's what they, I've heard. They got to kill a lot of our favorite characters between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last episode is uh. just going to be the White Walkers killing everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah. All right, my turn. Or your turn, Duncan. Uh, my number one was John being buried alive, which we kind of talked about. Um, it was great, you know. Just the the whole, like, I literally felt like I was suffocating when I was watching that. I couldn't breathe. Um, there was shots from his perspective, looking upwards, and seeing just flashes of shadow crossing the screen, flickering with the sunlight just blasting in between these shadows, and you couldn't tell what was happening. It just gave it a real chaotic scary feeling and um they've kept showing other people that were being trampled there's a guy whose head was like underneath a cape or like a bag or something and he yeah. kind of raises his head for a second and then all of a sudden a foot stomps down on it and he's just getting pummeled by these stomping feet and just people trapped and just the visceral carnage the the carnage of this scene was just unparalleled i mean as much credit as the uh obviously the directors get i, I mean the editors need a tip of the hat yes. as well because yes. I mean, it's just it literally puts you in that 
seeing in that feeling of being suffocated and, and the yeah. breathless, breathless the pacing yeah, with, of with, the cuts the, yeah exactly and the the, cho- the choice of the shots and coordinating it with the the orchestration the scoring is huge mm-hmm. the editing is monstrous i'm gonna go ahead and just read that part of the interview with director Miguel Sapochnik since we're talking about it. Great. So this is from Entertainment Weekly. They say, I know that when shooting, you look for story and character moments along the way. Is there a good example of that? He says, one day in the middle of shooting Battle of the Bastards, there was a moment when I realized we just could not complete the sequence as planned. Three days of constant rain had turned the field into a bog nine inches deep with mud so thick things were slowing down and morale with it. The crew are a tough bunch, but when the wind and rain is blowing in your face 13 hours a day and for weeks on end, and it's literally a game of death to make it up the hill to grab a drink or use the loo because it's so slippery, everyone gets a bit down. One evening I got home and I kind of knew we couldn't finish in the time we had left, so I wrote a long email to David and Dan and the other producers to suggest an alternative that I thought we could achieve in the remaining time. But that would mean going off book for three days. That is to say we'd be shooting without a script. I finished the email and made a cup of tea, no whiskey in the house, then waited for the response, which I fully expected to be a public chastisement and general reaming <clears throat> for even suggesting <laughs> Dan, that <laughs> uh, it was late already. And if we're going to do this, we needed to employ this idea first thing the next day. I hadn't even worked it out exactly how I'd do it. I just knew we needed a plan B. Anyway, not 15 minutes later, I get a ping on the email and David and Dan have replied. They said it sucked not to be able to finish as scripted and you're fired. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But they also understood the crunch we were in and they trusted me and to have at it. I think that this section of the fight in which John is almost buried alive by a stampede of panicking wildlings turned out as one of my favorite little moments in the sequence. No virtual effects, no fighting, just Kit giving a stellar performance and a crazy top shot as he pushes his way back out. We affectionately called it the rebirthing shot. Mm. Wow. The other reason I liked it is because of what it meant to be allowed to follow my gut and go for it. That kind of trust you can't buy. And it felt like a privilege to have been given that kind of support to go into uncharted territory by the producers in such a high stakes game. Yeah. And I mean, just having that kind of backing by your, your managers, your management and any type of job is awesome. But especially when it comes to this, them having the confidence in this director to make that kind of call on the fly and having it work out so well. I, I really wonder what the sequence was that they were unable to complete. I know, huh? He didn't say. It couldn't be better, though, right? It was <laughs> right? Uh, White Walkers. <laughs> but it turned out to be such a defining, sh- almost a shot, yeah. like when he comes out for air and, and the, the camera's yeah. pulling out. And it's, it's it's if you think about one of the moments that you, that stands out for you in, in terms of the whole battle, the the you know the, the rise and the fall and, and the motions that they're carrying people through, it was this like, you know, it just we're just gasping along with him, right? Because <laughs> he, he actually takes the physical mm. gasp of air. Um, he does. He out. And it's amazing. You watch, oh God, like any Michael Bay movie, and it's just uh, horrible, in my opinion. <laughs> and you can't tell what the hell's going on. And there's just punching and explosions, and it's like wall to wall. And this battle is so regimented and dynamic. You know, there's, there's, close-up scenes there's quiet scenes yeah the dynamics were just phenomenal yeah the beauty of it is that it appeared i mean it, it appeared unscripted which just goes to you know it speaks to i can't imagine just how scripted every single shot was but to, to give really give you this sense of randomness which is really what you know what at the end of the day what a, what a battle like that would be about mm-hmm. i love when tv shows have 
dynamic range over long time frames over episode to episode and within an episode and even just within this one battle scene there was some really uh intense broad scenes and some close-up quiet scenes and so it just made it feel like a little story in and of itself plus it was the whole psychological thing playing out of how ramsey outsmarted uh john snow so it's very good very good yeah and it's it's interesting how different music and dynamics can affect a scene like the scene where Jon Snow is being suffocated and there's these everybody's just climbing up this this hill of bodies and there's this real slow sad sort of stark theme song playing a sad version of it that just seems hopeless and just really melancholy at the same time it's it's a choice i wonder who made the choice if it was the director that instructed Javadi and how to, to do like a sad theme here or if he did it himself you could have replaced that music with like with headbanging, thrashing metal music, and it would have been effective in a different type of way. You know what I mean? So the yeah, music, of course. Um, yeah, 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 the music could like, creating difference. dynamic shifts. Yeah, it can totally affect the underlying tone of a scene. And the other part of it was the fact that because it was uh, on TV, there's a lot of a lot of context in in terms of what we're seeing. Because if it was a movie, you know, you you wouldn't have been able to have some of these character arcs over the span of two hours as opposed to like all these seasons because all that is in our mind right you know he died once coming back again is ramsey really going to get away and like you know how there were so many pieces that like led up to this moment and i think they just they sort of like layered uh, onto the scene and and you have all this this context as as you're watching it i think which makes it that much more dramatic Mm mm-hmm Definitely. Of course, with these days, like with Marvel, you have 20 movies and a couple of TV series. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, totally, yeah. And it, that's why TV is uh, in a lot of time, a lot of cases better than movies these days, in my opinion. But uh, as far as music yeah, goes, there was this one uh, little thing I saw one time where it just showed this guy walking like down a hallway or something. And they played some peppy music behind it dun, 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 dun. and it seemed like he was kind of the hero going to you know do something <laughs> great and then they played bah, 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 like ominous music and it totally changed with the same footage you know totally changed yeah the feel the totally scene. changes yeah. the feel yeah. well you see you've seen what they've done sometimes they take the breaking bad like uh trailer and they put like this you know the 80s family yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i love that there's um if anybody's interested i recommend listening to an analysis of the game of thrones music and they take a certain theme like the reigns of castamere or any given family's musical motifs and theme and uh ramin javadi just like by changing a couple notes or by changing the chords underneath the melody or by changing the tempo you can draw and to- totally different feels out of these these songs um podcast winterfell um, did, does some great analysis. Um, it, it's a trained, you know, musician, professional musician that that does the podcast, and um, he has this segment called Cleft Notes, and uh, it's it's a really in depth look at the music and these subtle changes in in themes that can really affect the way that that you feel and draw emotion mm-hmm. out in a very like strategic and planned way. Or play um, when characters get a certain theme and you might not even understand on a conscious level, but that music yes. comes up and it brings up all the memories of that person or feelings about them. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's, there's instances where they've done the same mixture of the scene and, 
you know, a, a favorite character is about to die, and, and they cued the music that would like set the stage for that. And then they done, they've done it. What they did here is because the way the music was playing when Jon Snow was getting trampled, I was like, they almost were this foreboding of like, okay, this is like this is the die. part where your favorite character dies. Yeah, <laughs> cue the cue that music. It's beautiful. All right, it's it's just amazing to see how it's possible to to be affected that way in terms of just having music play over. So I yeah, I recommend researching more into the music. I'm trying to decide what I want to do for my number one. I think what stands out that we haven't talked about yet is just Ramsey's death and that he seemed pretty confident and cocky, even up to the point where Jon Snow was repeatedly smashing him in the face. He still had a smile on his face. Tyler Durden moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he still, he kind of relaxed into it. And, uh, and then when uh, Sansa came to visit him, he was like, so this is where I'm going to live now. And then he saw the look on her face. Okay. I guess, not, you know, our time has come to an end. So he, re- he, yeah, he I understood that he was going to die. And yet he still, he was like, but I'm still going to be a part of you because of what I did to you. He was still being evil and smug. Mm-hmm. And the moment where he finally got to see him get worried and, and rattled and then terrified was when he realized that his dogs were about to eat him. Yeah. Which he kind of oh did to himself. God. So that was cool because he, he starved them for seven days. Yeah, and it was, it was foreshadowed um, on a couple occasions. I mean, obviously he fed Fat Walda and his, his um, half-brother to his dogs. But in the scene before that, right before Roos was murdered by Ramsey, he said, you know, if you act like a rabid dog, you're going to be treated like a dog. You're going to be taken out back, put down, and used as pig feed. And essentially, that's exactly what happened here, except it was dogs instead of pigs. He was just put in a cell, no fanfare, no public execution, just like an anonymous mm-hmm. prisoner, just in a cell and just fed to the animals. Yeah, when you think when you think about all the different ways that he could have or deserved to die, you know, there, we probably could have come up with a, a list of just like, how would we like to see him yeah. go out? <laughs> like butt fucked to eternity <laughs> yeah. or played yeah. or something. Have ghosts eat him. I heard a lot of people saying, you know, they thought it would be poetic justice for him to be eaten by dogs and ghost was thrown out there a number of times. Mm-hmm. So do you think that people who hate him with a passion feel like this was enough? I think so. I think <laughs> he got his justice. I mean, I, 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 as much as you want to see him like get his come up, prolong. Yeah, just that. That I did cringe in that one like second when the dog just snapped at his face. I was like, mm. wow, that's gonna talk about a horrible way to like go. <laughs> that black dog with the light shining off its hair yeah. at dynamic angles. That profile shot where the dog is leaning up towards Ramsey's face and licks the blood. And then he kind of steps back a step and he's got his mouth open and mm. his tongue is sort of fluttering in the air. It's just one of the creepiest yeah. things I've ever seen. Well, what got me was him going, rah, rah, and then his voice turned kind of inhuman. When, yeah, it just went, yeah, rah. when the dog. Well, got no, jo- no jaw at that, at that Yeah, yeah. bit into his exactly. throat. It sounded, I think they used some squealing pigs in there for sound effects. Oh. I'm not sure about that, but I think so. Um, I. I think some people, you know, when you think about how he, with Theon and Sansa, 
tortured them both over long periods of time, they might not think this was good enough. I don't want to see, I don't, I don't want to think about that, but, uh, or that happening to anybody, it's, but I could see where somebody might go. No, they, she let him off too easy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people who think that. Um, oh, did you guys think he reminded you of um, Hannibal Lecter at all in that scene? Hmm. He's kind of sitting now there bound in the yeah, chair, yeah, yeah. and uh, Sansa walks up and he goes, Hello, Clarice. <laughs> I mean, hello, yeah, Sansa. Sansa. Yeah. He, uh, that guy, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Iwan, Rion, that's the actor. It's I W A N. Anyway, he he's awesome, and I think he should get a lot of kudos for this role. Yeah, and yeah, he he's, he's so good at playing that role. He's so hated. I mean, you're gonna and, see him for a long time yeah. in other movies. He's gonna be like, I can't even see like if he's in a movie like The Notebook or something. I'm like, yeah. he's gonna kill you. <laughs> yeah, stay away. <laughs> I mean, he's I'm sure he's gonna cut your fingers. It's really tough for him not to get typecast at this point. He used to like go on Sesame Street or something. <laughs> Hydra wife, Hydra Hydra wife. Yeah. He could go on Sesame Street and flay Big Bird. No, that's horrible. Oh. <laughs> oh, Pluck no. all his feathers I'll out. Pick <laughs> off one feather at a time. That is so we just bad. lost the whole Sesame I Street know. contingent there. Sorry, kids. <laughs> Do you guys think Sansa's pregnant? I don't. Because he's like, mm. now I'm a part of you. That's interesting. Ah, ha ha ha. You know, like confident like something was living on. i hope not that's too soap opera-ish how would he yeah. know i think it's because he um her Maybe aunt flo didn't come to visit last month <laughs> but wouldn't she know uh we're gonna cover that she said to baelish you know she could feel what he did to her inside her still that's gonna be in uh somebody wrote an email about that i think so all right talk more about cool. it later i have a few more notes uh it was awesome to see the stark banner come yeah. down from the rampart wasn't yep. that great? Oh. That was a great moment. That was a nice... Tears yeah. of joy were shed in that moment <laughs> around the country and world, I'm sure. But doesn't that sort of presume then that the Starks are in control? And so who who is that? It must be Sansa, right? She's the head. Yeah. Couldn't be John. Yep. I think that's, joint, that's Sansa right there. right there. And uh, I was... So they just said, uh, just logistics wise, they, they just always carry the banners in case, you know, they, they won the... Yeah, they just keep them in the basement in case the person comes back and conquers. They can just pull it out. Well, Sansa's, you know, she's good with her needle. Arya's good with her needle. <laughs> it looks like I'm making up. stark logos and on leather that look amazing for John. So, she, yeah, it did look pretty beat up. Mm -hmm. She definitely didn't just make that thing. I liked when Tyrion said to the slave masters, thank you for the armada. Our queen does love ships. Yes, that was great the way he said that. Uh, can we get it? Or do, how about do, um, how about a, do we get some love for Brickin? We hardly knew you. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't. Yeah, he hadn't spoken since season three, and now he just kind of whimpered. He didn't really say yeah, anything. And no one, I don't know. No one, I don't. Yeah, know he didn't say anything. Stark fans, you know, they were like, "Oh, that's sad," but it's like, okay, anyway. Word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was when he got had that arrow shot through him, and you could hear him kind of wheezing. I felt pretty bad for the kid. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was really, really brutal because Ramsey lets off that shot and you see it miss him and he's just about to grab him, but you don't see Ramsey shoot again and then yeah. he gets hit. So there's kind of like yeah. a little trick they played on us And I there. think Ramsey was missing on purpose just to draw John out. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think it's crazy and actually awesome that this is the first scene that John and Ramsey have been together in this six-year-old series. Mm. Oh, I love that. 
Yeah, the bastards finally meet. The two most famous bastards in Westeros <laughs> currently. I liked when John said, I won't let him touch you again. I'll protect you, I promise. And Sansa said, no yes. one can protect me. Yeah. I was just about to say that. And you think that's a subtle Arya reference? Arya, I who's heading home to know. Winterfell? I thought, you know, I don't know if that was on purpose. It felt more to me just like the shit I've been through. You you can't take anything for granted on this show. Yeah, but it could well, be. Yeah. I think it was. I think it was a double entendre in turn, like yeah. by the writers at least. You know, obviously Sansa wouldn't wouldn't know that. So from her motivational standpoint, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, there's there is another Trueborn Stark, by the way. It's Bran. So mm-hmm. maybe Bran will end up the Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North. Maybe we'll find out next week. Maybe so. (laughs) Maybe he's already been Lord of Winterfell. (laughs) He's been warging into (laughs) Ramsey. No, maybe thousands of years Uh, ago. When when, uh, they have the the meeting right before the battle, uh, and then they show Lyanna Mormont in the background, and she's got this scowl scowl on her face. (laughs) (laughs) I love her. She's so funny. Perpetual scowl. Um, Let's see. So... People were talking about this Umber conspiracy. I think we can safely say that's not true. Yeah, sadly. He fought with Ramsey. He got his face bitten off by Tormund, right? Or he bit him somewhere. Yeah, Tormund bit his jugular out. Yeah, and... It's a little Rick Grimes style right there. (laughs) Exactly. Totally. And when he... When I guess it was Ramsey threw the head of Shaggy Dog down, John and Sansa seemed to recognize it. So I think that was pretty straightforward. Yeah, sadly. When Danny was flying the dragon and she said, Dracaris, I looked that up. It's High Valerian for dragon fire. Mm, yep. So that's how she gets him to breathe fire. Draca from the, uh, what is it, Latin Draco for dragon. Mm-hmm. So apparently Valerian is a Latin-based language, a romantic language. When Ramsey screamed, he was screaming, knock, draw loose to his bowman knock is in case anybody's curious that's when you fit the arrow groove into the bowstring then that's n-o-c-k then draws when you pull it back loose is let it go and that was a nice throwback to the uh, the battle at castle black when alistair um alistair thorn was saying that over and over and they passed it past the wall to john when he went down to fight and john was giving the commands knock draw loose but it just reminded me of that. And then you mentioned that, you know, John said, will your men want to fight for you when you hear you wouldn't fight for them was similar to Grey Worm. To the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then there was a couple other echoes. I read this in an article, actually. Tormund bit Umber just like Brienne bit the Hound. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Yeah, she bit him in the ear. It was very similar. And they're, you know, Brienne and Tormund have that little... <laughs> they have something <laughs> in common there going on. they could talk about on the first date. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the pan- camera panning up with all the fighters squished together around John when they were being compacted and he clawed his way out. The camera panned up. He's looking up at it. It's similar to the shot after Daenerys conquered Yunkai and all the, the former slaves gathered around her. Yep. Mm. So, yeah, it's just a, in a vortex. Yeah. It's like lifting her up, crowd surfing. People called the leadership. Well, she's, it's crazy how she controls the air, the land, and, and the sea now, right? 
Yeah, it's totally Oh, crazy. yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. And then the final thing I, I had a little note on, Littlefinger had proposed to Cersei that a while back that he tried to take back Winterfell and become Warden of the North. Um, that doesn't look like that happens. So he's going to want something from this, right? It, is it just yeah, he that is. he wants to be Sansa's boyfriend or what? I think so. Yeah. Uh, it's entirely possible. I mean, he definitely has some type of motive. Yeah. Maybe he wants I mean, to move in although, with her. Maybe he does still want to be the Warden of the North. He he may be, yeah, he may want to be the Warden of the North slash, um, you know, Sansa's husband. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, though, because it could go either way. Um, we learned in prior seasons that Peter Baelish had, you know, he had originally been in love with Kat, and he let his emotion get the better of him, his emotions, and he challenged Brandon Stark, who was um, Kat's betrothed, to a duel to for her heart, essentially. And Brandon Stark cut him from, you know, from navel to neck, essentially, like a disfiguring blow that nearly killed him. So he has let his emotions get in the way of his logic before in terms of pursuing mm -hmm. his uh, his object of desire. So it's hard to say. Did he learn his lesson? It seems like he learned his lesson for a long time. But um, is he is he thinking logically here? Or is he being driven by emotion? <laughs> yeah, but he's just, a, he's just yeah. that type of character that, I don't know that anyone ever knows like what his final you know game plan is because he right. just he seems to be so many moves ahead of almost everyone else on the show. I miss him too. Yeah. He hasn't been in it enough this season. Yeah, he's definitely one of my favorite characters. Um, you know, how do you feel about people who go Hadouken? <laughs> Isn't that from Street Fighter? <laughs> no, I don't even know, but oh. it's from the uh, Game of Thrones bad lip reading. Oh, oh, that's Street Fighter. <laughs> they have Baelish say it. Okay. That's hilarious. <laughs> Got it. Anything else you guys wanted to say about this episode before we close out this segment? Yeah, we uh, we forgot to cover something pretty massive, mm. man. What? Massive, the death of 1-1. One -one. Yeah, it was we sad. Touched, yeah, we touched on it. And we touched on it. I mean, I think if you have one giant in a battle, he's going to be the target, you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's oh, pretty absolutely. sad, yeah. He had his moments. He definitely yeah. did, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we need to recognize how badass he was yeah. in death, though. He he busted through that door. He breached the impenetrable gates of Winterfell, which is known to, you know, it it is known that 500 men can defend Winterfell from thousands of invaders. But one giant is enough if the circumstances are right to breach that wall and get act, gain entry for the uh, the invaders in this case the, the the true owners but he he ran in there dropped to his knees his it was almost comical arrows. too because uh, uh ramsey's like oh we're in winterfell we can stay here for 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 a long time <laughs> boom 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 <laughs> just like a castle black when he smashed in the gate yeah. up there and uh, he just had all these arrows sticking out of him, pin cushioning him, and he just let out this roar yeah. as all the, the other soldiers came running in. That was just fearsome to behold. And um, it's, it, it's like interesting a that uh, champion Ramsey shot him in the eye when, technically speaking, he could have shot that arrow at Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I was thinking that too. Yeah, yeah, it's those stormtroopers and R two D two kind of thing. Was it? One one that broke the door. Didn't the giant that broke the door at Castle Black bust through and then die? Oh yeah, the uh, the the uh, gate from the north. I was talking about um, this season when John was dead. Oh right, and yes. Alice or Thorn was uh, you know staging his coup. 
Yeah. Uh, mm. One one smashed through That's and right. led the wildlings in to save the day. Do you know if he's the last giant? I think so. It seems to be sort of implied on the show that he might be, um, but yeah, I, was there I'm not stuff from the book? The you can mention that in the book talk section if you want. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm curious about is it. There, is there a son of one one? <laughs> two two. <laughs> one two three four. Okay. <laughs> Anything else, Harry? Good. Awesome. All right, that was great. Let's take a little break, but there is more to come. Stay with us. All right, we're back. It's time for the news. For one thing, um, well, as an article on CNET put it, quote, the fury of dragon fire and the vengeance of dueling illegitimate noblemen are nothing next to the ire of Game of Thrones fans denied their weekly fix. And I was one of those because when I went to watch it on HBO now, as I do every week, it was down. It wasn't working. No way. Yeah, and I was like, what the fuck? I tried to restart everything, and then I went online and saw a thousand angry Twitterers. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was down from 9 p.m. Eastern till like an hour and 20 minutes oh, people after must that. Have been losing oh, their man. Minds. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it finally came back on and everything was fine. Thanks, science. <laughs> I think it was just, you know, everybody knew what this episode was going to be. So they all tried to watch it at the same time. Millions yeah, of definitely. people. Next, uh, Sophie Turner plays Sansa. They, Entertainment Weekly asked what she thought of this episode. She says, it was amazing. I really love the idea of the Battle of the Bastards. And I was loving the idea of killing, of John killing Ramsay. But then I was like, no, Sansa needs her first kill. And it has to be Ramsay. No one else but her. <laughs> and when he basically says, he's yours, I'm like, yes. She leaves him for dead, walks away, and doesn't even watch him die. Which she did watch him die. I think maybe they told her or they filmed it differently. I don't know. But. She said, it's such a great scene, so well-written, and it's so great to be able to have my first kill. <laughs> She's insane. Then, yeah, then they talked to Iwan Rion, who plays Ramsey. When did showrunners David Benioff and Dan Weiss give you the call to reveal Ramsey's demise? He says, I had received half the scripts, five episodes, then I got the call. They joked, isn't it great Ramsey ends up on the Iron Throne? As soon as they said that, I said, he's dead, isn't he? It's cool. <laughs> I've had four lovely seasons here. It's been great to be involved with such an amazing show. I think it's kind of right that he goes down because what else is he going to do after this? He's done so many things. He's reached his peak. That's safe to say. Yeah. It's argu- they say it's arguably unfair for Ramsey because he won strategically on the battlefield. Given the information he had, he beat Jon Snow. He should be the victor, even though he's not the one the audience is rooting for. Uh, that's what Entertainment Weekly said. He replies, but I do think it's just and it's right. I'm glad it happens as a fan of the show. Jon Snow needs to win because otherwise there's no hope left in the world. But it's interesting that it isn't fair. And afterward, Ramsey still thinks he's won. He's so arrogant and self-assured. He thinks he'll still be fine until the last minute. He always thinks he's going to be okay. He's no longer still smug. <laughs> <laughs> nope. He's now dog shit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
they say that your character was being matched against John in the first place had to be exciting. He says, anyone who asks me, who would you like Ramsey to meet? My answer has always been Jon Snow. He's the antithesis of Ramsey. They're almost a yin and a yang. They both come from such a similar place, yet they're so different. And even though they're enemies, they've both both risen so far as bastards, which is almost incomprehensible. And now they're both here facing each other. They couldn't be any more different, yet more similar. And then finally they say, you said in an interview last year that if Ramsey is going to die, you want him to go out in some big dramatic way. And this is certainly that. He says, yeah, I feel really lucky he got a proper send off and it's a gruesome death. It's so ironic. He's been banging on about those hounds all this time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. He seems like a pretty cool guy. Yeah. I'd like to meet him. Definitely. All right. So this is the final item, but it's, it's a long one. It's that interview with the director i thought just thought it would be interesting to hear him talk about the battle you know we heard a little bit before that i read but there's there's a bit more so he said they say we've seen field battles in so many films were there any particular elements that you were trying to emulate or for that matter trying to avoid compared to what we've seen on the big screen before and miguel sapochnik says i watched every pitch field battle i could find footage of real ones too looking for patterns for what works, what doesn't, where did he find footage of real field battles? Anyway, what World takes War you to or world war one, uh, trench fighting, maybe footage. Yeah. I've seen, I think I've seen footage. Oh, wow. Civil uh, war for what, for yeah. what works, what doesn't, what takes you out of the moment, what keeps you locked in. The big reference was Akira Kurosawa's ran R A N. Interestingly, one of the things I noticed is that staging of these battles through the years has changed dramatically. Back in the day, you'd see these huge aerial shots of horse charges, and there were two big differences. First, it was all real, no CGI. Or, and second, often when the horses would go down, you can kind of tell they got really hurt. Nowadays, you'd never get away with that, or nor would you want to. Yeah. Also, also, the more I watched these scenes, the more I felt like these aerial shots are now so synonymous with a final charge. They kind of take you out of the moment. That is to say, you're experiencing this moment as an objective observer in all its glory with no sense of danger from the inevitable impact of hundreds of these huge stampeding animals. I was interested in what it must feel like to be on the ground when that shit happens. <laughs> Absolute terror, a moment of clarity. What goes through your head when you are right back in the thick of it? After Hardhome, there was a lot of happy campers in the Game of Thrones offices, but there was also a sense that we somehow had to make Battle of the Bastards bigger and better. I personally felt the pressure in that respect, and so I tried to quash it as quickly as possible by using my mantra in this response. Quote, let's just make it the best we can. That doesn't mean making it better or avoiding how others have done it, because let's face it, battles have been done in every which way. It just means understanding the story and trying to service it the best way you can for the money and time you have. Most of all, it means choosing a point of view. So yeah, a lot of the things I was talking about earlier. I think he did a phenomenal job. Oh, I'm also wondering, did he say when that shit happens, the way it's on the ground, when Wade feel on the ground, seeing all that shit happen? Did he say that? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. They they blocked out the eye, but I what it's supposed <laughs> yeah. to say. I, yeah, I think it's safe to say it was probably shit. <laughs> uh, showrunners David Benioff and Dan Weiss have said the team looked to real life historical battles for staging this. What specific? Now nah, I don't want to care about that. Hold on, I'll go to the next one. Well, the fa- the phalanx say, was in- inspired by I think Hannibal. Okay, well I'll read it. 
He says, very much so. Initially, we based Battle on the Bastard, Battle of the Bastards on the Battle of Agincourt, which took place between the French and English in 1415. But as needs changed, as did budgets, it became more like the Battle of Canae between the Romans and Hannibal in 216 BC. Wow. Good call, Harry. Uh, yeah, good call. Uh, he also did research into Alexander the Great, who was legendary in his strategic battle prowess. That said, at some point, you need to put all the research down and tell a good story. The Bolton Shield Wall, for example, was a production-friendly way to emulate a, quote, double envelopment pincher move without using horses as ori- originally scripted, and also as a way to avoid seeing horizons on the field and therefore having to dress fewer dead bodies or stage background fights so deep because we didn't have the money. It's hilarious, too, because double envelopment was exactly what John said when he was trying to yeah. say what they didn't want to happen. <laughs> right. And, and Tormund was like... Yeah, and what what enabled it was the creation of that that wall of bodies to to pin them. Oh yeah. And uh, interestingly, um, you know, the, uh, the let's say the alliance forces had their their bows risen and um, drawn, and Davos said, "No, no, we let's not. We're just going to be killing our own guys." And the second after he said that, Ramsey was like loose. So he was intentionally killing his own guys here <laughs> to create that <laughs> to wall. To make this yeah, barrier. Yeah. Man, he inspires a lot of loyalty for an ass- asshole. <laughs> he uh, said, I also really like the visual of a wall of Bolton red and white crosses on the shields. It felt very fascistic and graphic. Yes. Very yeah, fascist. Totally. They, they ask, my understanding is that adding horses makes everything harder. What was the toughest part of that? He says the time factor, everything takes about 50% longer. Also, they need relatively solid ground to run on. And when it rains, the field would turn into a bog and we'd have to lay down tons of gravel to shore up their footing. Horses also get bored and spooked and some perform better than others. They also need an entire separate field to rest in. Oh, and they shit and piss all the time. In fact, one of the hardest scenes to shoot was the parlay between the different factions prior to the actual battle. Getting a bunch of horses to just stand there all day and do nothing is much harder than getting them to run around. They would fart and pee a lot, <laughs> often in the middle of Kit Hampton's lines. <laughs> Reminds me of Nico a little bit. <laughs> it's hard to get him to stay still. They sound like, diva. they sound like divas. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. totally. Come on, you guys are getting paid good money. Uh, on how long it took to shoot, he says, we ended up with 25 days including the parlay on the battlefield prior to the actual battle and all the scenes in Winterfell in the aftermath. Reaching that number was the biggest challenge, finding a way to cram in and organize everything so that we would use every single minute well in order to squeeze every ounce we could out of our time was the most logistically complicated thing I've ever been involved in. When all was said and done, we had around 500 extras, 160 tons of gravel, 70 horses and riders, 65 stuntmen and women, seven principal actors, often four camera crews, 25 days to shoot it, and a call sheet with often up to 600 crew members. Wow. Amazing. So that's it about the battle. Then they ask him a bit about... um... Oh, wait, no, that's not it. They ask, when Ramsey played his hunting game with Rickon, was Jon Snow his true target there? He says, absolutely. In the scenes leading up to the battle, Sansa warns Jon not to fall for Ramsey's tricks, which is exactly what he does. Rickon's death is all just a ploy to bait John, and it's incredibly successful. Ugh. And then, without talking specifics, obviously, what in general excites you about next week's supersized finale? He says that it feels equally as epic as episode nine, but for completely different reasons. Hmm. That's cool, because he directs that one, too. Oh, wow. What? 
This season, I don't know if it's been like that every season, but each director gets two episodes in a row. Huh. So for must be logistics. But or talk something. about getting. The, 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 I mean, the last two. Oh, it's crazy. Of the, yeah. Totally crazy. They must have ultra confidence in him. He. And he after delivered. Hard Home, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. He did just do them all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then a little bit about Sansa and Ramsay. So Sansa and Ramsay's final scene together capped the show's most controversial storyline. What were your goals with that? Uh, when Ramsay had his hounds attack Lady Walda, the choice was made not to show anything really. What options were weighed for how much to show here? He says, I must admit, I kind of wanted to make people start to feel for Ramsay in that wonderful way Thrones turns these things on their head. But the showrunners were clear. They didn't want anyone to sympathize with Ramsay Bolton. And this time they wanted blood. Yeah, and in it's like way, uh, nobody wanted to see Walda and the baby getting eat getting eaten, but um, no. everybody wanted to see Ramsey getting eaten. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> and they didn't even show that whole thing, but they showed yeah some of it. <laughs> uh, he says, "In a way, I agree. This is not a time to be morally ambiguous. Ramsey needs to die, and horribly. This is what the audience has been waiting to see." That said, there's no need to dwell on the actual carnage. What's left to our imagination is always way worse. The most effective moment for me was the sound of a squealing pig you hear from Ramsey in the background as Sansa walks away. Apparently, it's actually what happens when you rip someone's windpipe open while they're still alive and gasping for air. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, without vocal cords to shape the sound. Oh, I hear some ravens. That means it's time for ravens calls. Wait, wait, was that ravens or was that Melissa? (laughs) Our friend Melissa did an amazing raven sound last a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I think she has a pet raven. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> she must. All right. Let's go through these. Who wants to go first? I think I'll, Harry does. I'll kick okay. it off. Uh, Lloyd Green. That may have been the single most satisfying episode of TV ever. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia Deck says, wow, just Wow. I'm so hyped the Starks have reclaimed their home. Seeing the Flayed Man banner fall and the Direwolf banner put in its place made me cheer. Things are starting to look up for the Starks. Tormund went full-on Rick Grimes on Small John Umber with that neck bite. <laughs> Nikki Campbell-Keith says it was obviously an epic episode. Dragons, battles, and whatnot. But I absolutely loved... What I absolutely loved was the cinematography. Yes. This episode was shot so beautifully. The framing, the slow-mo. Oh, my goodness. So awesome. Totally. Ashley Snellgrove. Wow. The battle was one of the most intense scenes I've ever witnessed. I felt like I was suffocating alongside John. My heart is still racing. Lots of things to process. But glad to see that <laughs> Ramsey is done for good. Yeah. Well, technically, we didn't see him die. Just just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's fine. Laura South says, me too. Even 15 minutes later, I'm still shaking. <laughs> William Steiner. I wonder what, how Karen felt about this episode. Yeah. <laughs> William Steiner says, when I saw the banners of House Aaron, I stood up and cheered. When I saw the Stark banner unfurl, I almost cried. Yeah, almost. I may have cried a little. Just saying. <laughs> Veronica Linares. I'm glad John and Tormund made it out of there. I'd be sad if my favorite ginger died. <laughs> yeah that's true yeah who died uh rickon and the giant one, one. and uh ramsey i think that's about it right and a thousand other people that we don't know a thousand red shirts from both sides number yeah laura willie swink says amazingly epic 
<laughs> kicked off with a total fuck yeah moment. <laughs> then into the totally unexpected scene of Danny and crew meet the Ironborn. In parentheses, I am 100% shipping Team Danyara <laughs> to, to one of the most brutal and horrific war scenes I've ever experienced, TV, big screen, or otherwise. My big question is, why did Sansa keep the Knights of the Vale secret from Jon? Was she unsure that Baelish, Baelish would be reliable and didn't want to give him false hope? Or did she know they were on their way, but wanted Jon's army to fight to the death like they had nothing to lose? When she and Littlefinger show up on horseback, she had a little bit of a devilish twinkle in her eye. Yeah, she could have been letting Jon, you know, sacrifice himself to to get him out of the way if, if she deemed him a threat. It could have been to make Ramsay think they were throwing it all on the, on the line to draw him out and make him vulnerable, which is what ended mm -hmm. up being, hap like, what happened. Yeah, and what she's saying here, suggesting, trying to be an opti optimist is to make them fight to the death like they had nothing to lose. Maybe she just yeah. has slow ravens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, you know, I would be disappointed if this got dropped and was never addressed by Jon Snow, but I think it's going to be addressed. Yeah, I think so. Agreed. I think he'd be pretty mad about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So expect to learn more about that. But I don't know. I really don't know. And I want to know. I think she has good intentions and that she just, I think maybe she would, she thought for some reason that Jon Snow wouldn't have accepted that help, but I don't know why. Yeah. Cause Littlefinger has this reputation of being a devious yeah. bastard, you know? So well, I'm she sure Jon Snow. She's new to war and, and, and battlefield strategies and timing and all that. So she could, she could play that up. True. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rima Joe says wow what a fantastic episode glad Sansa was there to make sure Ramsey got his due that little fucker <laughs> <laughs> Olivia Gray says I absolutely love that Sansa the character no one expected anything of has become a total badass seeing her ride in at the last second with those veil soldiers and Littlefinger made me scream out loud and the shadow <laughs> of a smile she has as she's walking away from Ramsay being torn apart by his dogs was the best ending shot of the entire show. Sansa has been a naive, simpering idiot who made a victim, uh, who was made a victim by men time and time again. And to see her taking control of her destiny, and honoring her heritage as a Stark, makes me makes up for every quibble I've ever had about this show. Mm, I agree. Good move, showrunners. Yeah, I really, I think a lot of people felt a big connection with Sansa in this episode. Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah, <laughs> Even I, though, did. I mean, you know. Yeah, I did too. Um, I was on her side for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Kate Lur says, holy shit. Epic, incredible, and so very, very satisfying. Best episode of the series. And Miller G says, "Meh." No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> says uh, the the battle was great, but Danny and Yara make love, not war. Hey, I can get behind that. Laura South is uh, bringing us back down to earth here. I do have one small complaint about the episode, though. The troops from the Vale arriving just at the last minute. It was so Deus Ex Machina. I know that's how stories stay exciting, but it was predictable. John would have lost everything if they hadn't showed up right when they did. 15 minutes later would have been way too late. Yeah. It's TV. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> but yeah, I know what you mean. I would give this episode 9.9 9, 9 brains, I'll say. Um, <laughs> just for that, that one 
0.1 of a percentage would have been uh, seeing Juan Juan get a little more action. Yeah. I, I think um, I was wondering that myself too. And I just think that it, for one thing, if he would have been really quick and just went around stomping people and throwing and twisting a lot of people in half, it just would have seemed like a one-sided battle that was over quickly. Yep. You know? Yeah, definitely so true. That, or he could have just smashed that. right through that shield wall. Shouldn't yeah. he have a club that's like his size, like a Bam Bam yes. club or something? Like, like a big tree. Yeah, they probably have a telephone pole around somewhere. Just you know, <laughs> Winterfell can go without phones for a day or two. Dozens of men with one of those. Okay, Duncan, your turn. I think. Right. Uh yeah. Sarah Larkham says, "I wonder what Sansa's deal with Baelish will cost her. I bet it's not good." Yeah. yeah. Deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. Kathy Bridges says, I think they're even. He's the one who hooked her up with that shithead. <laughs> he won't see it that way. Oh, here we go. Derek Pacheco. I can't shake the feeling that Sansa is pregnant. Ramsey saying, I'm part of you now had a nasty feeling to it, more than the context of him raping her. That yeah. would be devastating, but so very Game of Thrones. K. Deer says, I don't think she's pregnant. Sansa's remark to John about still feeling what he did inside her could have made meant a number of things especially combined with what she said about how he never touched her face i'm guessing he may have branded her in a way he could have branded slash burned something onto her body or mutilated her in some other form if she has permanent physical damage to her body because of him then that could easily easily explain his statement about always being a part of her he could have said the same thing to theon reek or maybe he did we know that Theon will never be able to forget Ramsay, and Ramsay will ever will forever be a part of him because of how badly Ramsay traumatized and mutilated him. We know Theon isn't pregnant. <laughs> Winky face. I, I didn't see the ultrasound. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think she could be pregnant, but it would seem very soap opera-ish to me. Mm, yeah, it would, I think it would fit, though. There's like the, the horrible, like tragic nature of the show. True. Ugh. That's true. Ugh. And just, parentage and lineage and all that play a big part in the show. Yeah, and it's just like just such an awful thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I it's horrible to to you know have a little baby, you know, the sins of the father be cast upon a baby like that. But it's just something so beautiful being seen as so horrible, you know. But it's yeah. just it's just an awful idea. <laughs> I know. I mean, I have thoughts about that, but I think I'm going to wait to see what happens before I get into it too much sure maybe i won't have to talk about it (laughs) (laughs) all right so megan kleinman says bye felicia glad your mutts finally got a meal yeah bye felicia (laughs) (laughs) and we got some email uh from rocks in manchester the north of england was it me or did it seem that john had the protection of someone or something be it rohaller I hope I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> TP, That's a Relore. Relore. TPTWP prophecy or some other magic or reason we don't yet understand. Some people seem to be complaining online that John should have died and only lived because he is a fan favorite. But it felt to me that it was because John is not meant to die today. Showers, showers of arrows, it's a tongue twister, seem to miss <laughs> him by inches. The water dance of fighting Bolton enemies on all sides played out so fluidly. And in the huge crush of corpses, friends, and foe, it seemed like for a moment he was about to accept death. Yet something made him fight. He chose life in that moment, and it yes. seemed like a big chance since his return from the darkness 
beyond that we believe to be death. Also, did you guys pick up on the Sansa's on Sansa's comment that no one can protect you to John? If Arya is no one, then is she to have a future part to play in John's destiny? Hmm, that's a good call there. You'd think yeah. so. This mm-hmm. week, this episode was phenomenal, an outstanding achievement of acting, cinematography, and just overall fucking epicness. Love you guys. Can't wait for your your podcast this week. Yay. Awesome. Um, just to clarify also, the TPTWP prophecy uh, is the prince that was promised prophecy. Mm. Next, we have an email from Jess from Toronto. Jess says, There was a moment last night during the battle where horses were slamming into one another and arrows were falling and bodies were piling. And I turned to my husband and said, Dear God. I don't think I've ever seen a movie or TV show that has so clearly illustrated the actual terrifying chaos of this kind of battle. After the episode ended and inside the episode started and Benioff and Weiss were talking about the scene, one of them said something to the effect of, we realized that no movies or shows had ever really shown what this kind of battle really would have been like. So that's what we wanted to do. May I just say, mission accomplished? (laughs) This scene did, for my understanding of medieval battles, what Saving Private Ryan did for my understanding of D-Day in Normandy, namely showing that it was fucking terrifying and <laughs> random chaotic chance dictating whether you lived or died. Hands down, fantastic. I love this scene more than I loved Hard Home, and that is saying something. I agree, um, Jess. During that battle, Saving Private Ryan was on my mind yeah. for the equivalent um, in terms of modern warfare, or, you know mid-century modern warfare (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right yeah the whole storming the beach at normandy yeah from ophelia Contreras says wow this is a great episode i loved all the little details like when the army from the airy arrived and everyone turned to look at them except Tormund, who used it to his advantage (laughs) i also saw someone point out that in season one episode one there's a brief scene where rickon grabs some arrows and runs to john to hand them to him when helping clean up that's either a huge coincidence or great foreshadowing oh Hmm, maybe so okay this is greg from virginia hey there jason this is greg from virginia um so so about the episode last night um I'm a bit of a, of two minds, so I really did enjoy the uh, kind of recreation of Daenerys and her. Oh, we're not gonna, you know, we're not talking about what what I'm going to surrender, and basically her kind of redomination of and uh, and focus of, of her forces and and, and will. Um, but then the the Battle of the Bastards. Honestly, it's not that I was underwhelmed; it was that I was just frustrated because. You sat there and you just watched John do exactly what Sansa told him not to do. And it was, <laughs> it was so frustrating. Not, I wasn't saddened. I was just like, yeah, so disappointed in that character. And then you have the, oh, well, no one actually knows that it's happening, but, uh, we got the, the, the army from the, just from the gods to come in. Sansa finds Littlefinger and, shows up and just, uh, was a little disappointed. I mean, I, I guess this is the size of episode nine. Maybe I just wasn't feeling, was feeling well last night, but man, I was just disappointed. Maybe just because of, of, of John's character. I don't know. Anyway, uh, you guys enjoy the show and, uh, look forward to hearing the podcast. Bye. That sucks. 
I understand that. Yeah, me too. But I think he's a lot like his dad, who mm-hmm. was naive and ended up getting his head cut off because of it. And luckily, some of the, his, well, his sister grew up and she's smarter than him in some ways. And she was there to bail him out. But in my, you know, even back when Ned Stark died, there was a part of me that's like, he kept his honor. He didn't have to get down in the mud with everybody. And in this world, that means you die. But uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. But I, I think that was definitely supposed to be a part of this episode that John was just so naive and kind of guileless in that that was definitely put him at a huge disadvantage. It seems to be a trait with male Starks. Um, Rickard yeah. Stark and Brandon Stark were both killed when they basically rode into King's Landing to attempt to save Lyanna and essentially handed themselves right over to the Mad King. And they were executed in spectacular fashion as mm-hmm. well. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's sad to see him go down that that path as well and almost face a similar fate. So it's, it's very frustrating. I, I can see that point of view. I, I like, I enjoy it. I think it's cool that he, not everybody is, you know, a strategic know. genius yeah, and can overcome yeah. their emotions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because the question arises like, did the, did the best man win and he just stumbled his way <laughs> to. Right. <laughs> just want yeah. to mention I'm drinking a beer called Black Beard. It's B L A C K B E E R D that was sent to me by Greg, who we just heard from. Thank you, Greg. Interesting. Bunch of beers, different kinds of beers. There's a great brewery in Connecticut also called Beard Brewery, B-E-E-R apostrophe D as well. I wonder if there's any connection. (laughs) Doubt it. (laughs) Hello, wolves and dragons, krakens, bears, and flayed men. Welcome back to another still smug book talk section. I'm your host, Sir Duncan the Fearsome, and today I'll be covering season six, episode nine, The Battle of the Bastards. There actually wasn't really any direct book crossover material from the Battle of the Bastards tonight, so instead I'll talk a bit about certain aspects that are similar and speculate a bit about how the show events may foreshadow book events that have yet to come. As usual, this will be a spoilery segment, so if you haven't read the books and don't want to be spoiled on things that happen in the books that don't happen in the show or might happen in the books and then do happen in the show or might happen in the show and did happen in the books or may happen in the books, etc., and skip this segment. So one of the first similarities we have this week in the Battle of the Bastards is Yara seemingly taking the role of Victarion from the books. Um, as you guys all know, Victarion is sent east to find Danny um, at the behest of Euron Greyjoy, and he's supposed to basically collect Danny and bring her back to be Euron's wife. Um, on the show, it seems like Yara is sort of fulfilling this role instead of Victarion. Like, the two roles have been condensed. And uh, instead of being sent by Euron, she's sort of fleeing to uh, Daenerys uh, as an option. But Victarion, in the book, you know, wants to take Daenerys as a wife himself to sort of show up Euron. Um, since Euron had basically befouled or besmirched his previous wife and which uh, that led to Victorian murdering his own wife with his bare hands. In this case, it seems like Yara wants to best um, Euron by winning Danny to her cause, not by marrying Danny, but you know, she's open for it. She's up for anything if it comes down to that. So that's pretty cool. 
That brings us to the next point, which is Daenerys and lesbianism. Get a little hint here in this episode that she's not entirely adverse to the idea of lesbian relations with Yara, Theon's sister. And this is a concept that's not unfamiliar to book readers. Um, when she was lacking um, Drogo, her husband, and her, her son in stars, on the trip to Marine various times along the way, um, she got pretty close with her handmaiden Eerie, with whom she engaged in um, sexual relations, let's say, I think on a, on a boat while they're heading to, um, to the slaver cities. Um, I think Eerie was one of the, uh, the Dothraki handmaidens that, that Daenerys got um, when she was married to Khal Drogo. And in the books, Danny doesn't really seem into it, but she kind of craves that intimate connection with somebody, and Eerie um, is just kind of there to do it. She reflects later that Eerie's kisses tasted of duty. And that brings me to my first book reading for today, which is an excerpt of Danny and Eerie getting it on. Lying abed in her narrow bunk, she found herself wondering how it would be to have a man squeezed in beside her in place of her handmaid and the thought was more exciting than it should have been. Sometimes she would close her eyes and dream of him, but it was never Jorah Mormont she dreamed of. Her lover was always younger and more comely, though his face remained a shifting shadow. Once so tormented she could not sleep, Danny slid a hand down between her legs and gasped when she felt how wet she was. Scarce daring to breathe, she moved her fingers back and forth between her lower lips, slowly so as not to wake Eerie beside her, until she found one sweet spot and lingered there, touching herself lightly, timidly at first, and then faster. Still, the relief she wanted seemed to recede before her, until her dragon stirred and one screamed out across the cabin, and Eerie woke and saw what she was doing. Danny knew her face was flushed, but in the darkness Eerie surely could not tell. Wordless, the handmaid put a hand on her breast, then bent to take a nipple in her mouth. Her other hand drifted down across the soft curve of her belly, through the mound of fine silvery gold hair, and went to work between Danny's thighs. It was no more than a few moments until her legs twisted and her breasts heaved and her whole body shuddered. She screamed then. Or perhaps that was Drogon. Eerie never said a thing only curled back up and went back to sleep the instant the thing was done. And there you have it, Danny's first lesbian sexual experience with her handmaiden, Eerie. And Danny's lesbian adventures are not the only lesbian adventures in the Song of Ice and Fire book series. As you know, Cersei um, experiments with Tyena Merriweather at a couple points throughout the books. And while we were on the Danny and Marine topics, I figured it would be worthwhile to mention that Drogon has become very, very large. Massive, you could say. And for me, this made me think of Balerion the Black Dread, the famed dragon of Aegon the Conqueror, the first Targaryen king of Westeros um, from about 300 years prior to the start of Game of Thrones. So Balerion, the Black Dread, was his massive, massive black dragon that he rode during the conquest. It's, it's famous for having scorched the towers of Harrenhal, as well as, you know, forming the Iron Throne 
by melting the, the the metallic swords of all the enemies of Aegon. Interestingly, the Black Dread was the largest of the Targaryen dragons and lived for close to two centuries. Now, of course, the history and lore of Westeros is present in the Game of Thrones TV show, but for book readers, I think a lot more of the details are sort of hammered into your heads um, repeatedly throughout the story. And for me, when I saw Drogon, Viserion, and Rhaegal all flying together in formation, it caused images of the original conquest of the Seven Kingdoms to rise up inside my mind. I could almost see Aegon, Visenya, and Rhaenys riding their three dragons, Balerion, the Black Dread, Vagar, and Meraxes. So, moving on to the Winterfell stuff, um, a lot of you probably have heard of the Grand Northern Conspiracy. If not, I would check it out. It's basically the theory that surrounds the event of Rob Stark legitimizing Jon Snow before Rob was killed. He did this in front of a number of witnesses, including Catelyn Stark and the Blackfish, and the Grand Northern Conspiracy basically is the all-encompassing theory of how these houses in the North may be conspiring in secret to raise John Stark up as their new king in the North. There hasn't really been any evidence that this conspiracy has occurred on the show, and in fact it was kind of called into question when Small John Umber showed up at Winterfell to hand over Rickon to Ramsay. So, unfortunately, it seems this week that the notion of the Grand Northern Conspiracy, at least on the show, has been dispelled. It seemed to be dispelled already when Lyanna Mormont had told John that they only know one king, the king in the north whose name is Stark, and if the conspiracy had existed and they were really aiming to raise John Stark up as king, she probably would have mentioned it to him at that point. Oh, by the way, we know you're actually a Stark now, and you are the king, so, yep, we pledge fealty. But, wasn't that clear, and um, now that Small John Umber and his forces have decisively chosen to back Ramsay Bolton in this conflict, it seems apparent that the Grand Northern Conspiracy, at least in the form of the books, is not a... A thing and not an actual conspiracy on the show itself. Kind of unfortunate, but it would have been a lot to cover in the short amount of time remaining, and it makes sense for it to be kind of cut out. A little bit too complex for the TV show, I think. This episode may also mark a particularly sad occasion for the TV show, which may not be the same in the books, but it seems like it may be the death of the last living giant in Westeros. Now, for all we know, there could be more beyond the wall or some that ran away um, when Stannis attacked or something, you know, ones that escaped that didn't necessarily try to join up with the Night's Watch and cross through to the uh, south of the wall. But as far as we know, um, one one seemed to be the last remaining giant. And um, the, with the extinction of any race, it's, you know, a very sad occasion, but... There's something special about the Giants, and it seems like, you know, if, if that's the last one, that something really, really awesome and pure and magical has um, departed from the Earth. And it reminds me of this scene when John is north of the Wall on his mission to get in close with um, the, the Wildlings. 
at one point the uh, the wildlings are all singing a song that's called the last of the giants and it's about the death of the last giant and um, at this point the song is fictional but it's poignant still because the giants are a dying race and it's um it's really sad you know egret is crying while they're singing it and john is sort of like i don't i don't get it and that's one of the one of the times where she says her famous catchphrase you know nothing john snow and gets all mad that he's being you know um not so sensitive about the the giant issue but um, here's uh, my first quick reading, which are the lyrics from the song The Last of the Giants. And this is going out to one one, our favorite giant friend. Oh, I am the last of the giants. My people are gone from the earth. The last of the great mountain giants who ruled all the world at my birth. Oh, the small folk have stolen my forests. They've stolen my rivers and hills. And they've built a great wall through my valleys and fished all the fish from my rills. In stone halls they burned their great fires, in stone halls they forged their sharp spears, whilst I walk alone in the mountains with no true companion but tears. They hunt me with dogs in the daylight, they hunt me with torches by night, for these men who are small can never stand tall whilst giants still walk in the light. Oh, I am the last of the giants, so learn well the words of my song, for when I am gone the singing will fade and the silence shall last long and long. R.I.P. 1-1. We'll miss you, buddy. So things at this point in the Game of Thrones are very much situationally different from in A Song of Ice and Fire. We have characters in different places, storylines taking place in very different ways than they do in the books. Uh, Stannis is still potentially alive in the books, although in the Pink Letter Ramsay or someone pretending to be Ramsay says that Stannis is dead so how does all this affect what we can expect coming up from the books from what I hear it's been confirmed that Shireen will be burned in the books so this sets up a future conflict between Davos and Melisandre like we're seeing play out currently I expect that to come to a head next week we haven't gotten too much foreshadowing lately in the books regarding the wildfire in King's Landing. That hasn't been mentioned in a while, but it wouldn't surprise me if um, something similar to what's happening now in the story in Game of Thrones ended up playing out on the in the book series as well. I could easily see Cersei completing the Mad King's insane mission and trying to burn them all which could result in a fracturing bet uh, between Jamie and Cersei and potentially a um, twin murder. Maybe murder-suicide? Who knows? But that'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, Sansa is in a totally different area, so I'm not sure how much we can predict based on her interactions with the Boltons and Jon Snow. They haven't been reunited on the show or anything yet, so we're kind of way out in left field on the um, in, in the show and I can't really draw many conclusions based on the you know what's going to happen in the books because of this Ramsey and Roos are both dead in the show so that leads me to suspect that they will not be playing a major role in the end game of A Song of Ice and Fire that's not surprising because they are too evil and ruthless to be of any use when the White Walkers come to take over Westeros. So those guys are kind of like, you know, 
loose ends, bad bad um, characters that needed to be eliminated before the White Walkers came because I can't see them uniting or being accepted by other you know main characters in the books um, to fight together against the Whites. Just not something I see happening at all. I could see a battle playing out at Winterfell pretty similarly to this one. Um, Sansa is with Peter Baelish at the Vale, and it wouldn't surprise me if she spearheads a movement to bring the Knights of the Vale to Jon's aid at Winterfell, especially considering that, you know, this, the castle's been taken over by the Boltons, and they have a chance uh, working together potentially to retake it. So I could see a John and Sansa collaboration in the books with uh, Littlefinger with them as well if um, if John ends up going down to the south to try to take back Winterfell, assuming he's resurrected, which I basically have taken for granted as um, inevitable. So, yeah, we will see what happens with that. One of the other cool things that happened this episode was seeing Viserion and Rhaegal blast their way out of the, uh, the the subterranean chamber where they're being held captive in chains. Um, if you remember in the books, it's mentioned that they're breathing fire in that chamber so much that the stone itself is starting to melt and crack, and uh, it seems inevitable that they're going to escape at some point to join Drogon in the wild. We can only hope that it is in a context where they are being controlled by Daenerys like on the show. Otherwise, it could mean big problems for Daenerys and big problems for anybody who decides to get in the way of these dragons. So, I'm hoping for some type of orderly resolution to that plot line that involves um, coordinated dragon fire towards targets that have it coming. You know, I don't want to see any more little baby girls get burnt alive by these big mean dragons. That would not be cool. I can also see Danny taking Victarion's fleet and using it to sail west to Westeros, but I have a hard time imagining Danny working together with Victarion. It would take a lot of uh, sacrifice of Victarion's motives and way of life in order for her to agree to work side by side with him, I think, which, who knows, maybe it'll happen. In this episode, um, Yara agreed to stop reaving, roving, raping, and pillaging, etc. So it's a possibility, I guess, for the books. Although Victarion seems pretty set in his ways. And with his new um, powers or whatever happened to him when he you know, spent a little time with our favorite red priest on the ship who they plucked out of the water... Um, who knows if he's even susceptible to having his mind changed or what type of influence he may be able to have over Danny uh, when he does finally meet her. Hopefully Tyrion will be there to help guide her in a positive direction in the books as well as the show, although that has not happened yet. But the prospect is very exciting. And I think that pretty much wraps up this week's episode of Still Smug, your book talk section. I'm your host, Sir Duncan the Fearsome, and I will look forward to talking to you all next week as well. I hope you enjoy next week's upcoming episode, uh, the season finale of Game of Thrones. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. See you guys.
All right, now it's time for next week on Game of Thrones. For the benefit of Duncan, who doesn't want to hear any spoilers, we're only going to be talking about things that aren't spoilery at first and and our um, predictions. And then I'll talk a little bit about the clip from next week, but you can tune out for that, Duncan. So next week is season six, episode 10. It's written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss and directed by Miguel Sapochnik, who directed this week's episode. It is the longest in the show's history with a runtime of 69 minutes. Yay! Okay, we have a call from Jason from Grand Prairie, Alberta, and I thought it would fit better in the next week's section because he has questions about that. Hello, everyone. Uh, after last week, I can't be sure who's going to be hosting this week, but you're all welcome. <laughs> all the hosts and co-hosts. Thank you. That's uh, Jason Colley from Grand Prairie, Alberta. Uh, I have a question about episode 10. Um, traditionally, episode 9 has been the big climactic episode, and then episode 10 is for uh, tying up loose ends. But judging from how neat and tidy they uh, they finished up the Jon Snow and Daenerys storyline last night, I'm wondering if you think we're even going to see them next week. Or if next week might be just a wrap-up episode for all the other storylines. Uh, if you agree, who do you think we're going to see next week? My guess is at least both Lannisters, Arya, and Bran. Um, I'm hoping not to see Dorne, but I don't know what else Dorne is supposed to do this season. They may wear in the premiere episode. You'd think we'd see them at least once more, but who knows. And uh, you'll maybe see where uh, Lady Brienne goes. Um, I don't know. Let's hear what you guys think. Uh, I'm super curious on what they're going to do next week. Thanks. Bye. What do you guys think? It's almost too many loose ends to tie up in one episode. Mm-hmm. They have to just tease each one out and set the stage and and keep us anxiously waiting for uh, however many months we have. So what do you think? Uh, are we going to find out the rest of Bran's vision at the Tower of Joy? Oh, God, I hope so. I know. I don't know, though. I feel like they're going to push that off. I know. It wouldn't surprise me. It's the kind of thing that might be important at a given time and which, when it would be like uh, expedient for us to find out. But it'd be a great cliffhanger for the end of the season. Not so much a cliffhanger, but like a revelation for the end of the season. And part of mm-hmm. the plot dri- uh, drive of the next season could be getting that information to John. Also, mm-hmm. Teresa Dover says, I'm curious to hear your theories about the final episode. Do you think we'll see Arya at Winterfell this season? Mm. How much? How, how far does she have to travel? pretty damn far (laughs) real far the length of time required to get different places seems to vary depending on the needs of the story (laughs) i think uh i think it's just that they you know they show things in like out of sequence essentially so i think all the times line up but it just they they need to show like the 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 most important story beats and it may be like at one part of the timeline for one person and then like a couple months later or earlier for other characters but they kind of mash them all together and um it just makes so it you think difficult. it all would line up. I do. Picked it all. Yeah. And if you fly by dragon, apparently it's faster. <laughs> it's much <laughs> yeah. faster. I think oh, maybe the very last ending of it. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. The ending of the episode if she arrived. You think Danny will get on her ships for Westeros? Oh, I hope so. I know, right? Yeah. Oh my uh, god, I think she will. Tyrion re told the story that we all know about Aerys Targaryen hiding wildfire all around King's Landing to Danny. I think maybe he brought that up. This is just speculation, but maybe he brought that up because 
uh, it's going to be used next episode yeah, by Cersei. We have back had, against the wall. Oh, yeah, well. we've had a lot of mentions mm-hmm. of burning cities to ash. Yeah, and wildfire and references to the Mad King. We saw his infamous "burn them all" line on screen, and to have this mentioned an episode after Jamie says that Cersei would burn a city to ash. Cersei or Catelyn Stark would burn a city to ash for their children. I think there's there's some major foreshadowing of catastrophic damage happening at in King's Landing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, now I'm going to say the description of the episode and some things from the clip. So, Duncan, why don't you just... I'll take a, a long watch, a long walk and a nice shit, you know. Okay, <laughs> here's the super spo- spoilery uh, description for next week. In case you don't want to hear it, you should move to the next section. It says, Cersei faces her trial. That's it. <laughs> yeah, they, they made a point of not <laughs> saying anything about these last two. Yeah, they're pretty tight-lipped. Although there was a like I don't know, forty-five second clip that showed quite a lot. Yeah, it showed. You saw well, it. Well, yeah, every single character that has an open <laughs> like arc is like in there, and you're like pictured in there. There's no way they can do any justice to all those storylines. I know. Well, that's this whole show since day one. Like we'll inch forward here, inch forward there. I just hope they don't do anything that's like. That doesn't move any plot. Like, you know, I don't know. Sometimes they have some scenes scenes that you're like, why are we watching this? This episode that we just saw did a great job of, it felt like moving things forward. So next week, High Sparrow says, are you prepared to stand trial and profess your sins before the seven? So that's Cersei. Mm -hmm. Jon Snow says to Sansa, "We we need to trust each other we have so many enemies now it looks like they are addressing what happened with little finger and stuff you know i think that's why he's saying that i don't know yeah it's interesting interesting that he would use the 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 choice of words on his part Mm -hmm. and sansa says to little finger what do you want he says i thought you knew what i wanted and then obviously they could be playing all those clips out of order too just kind of throw us off even more mess with us yeah but that makes me think he wants to get some yeah (laughs) <laughs> or he wants to get at least get married. Davos is talking to Melisandre with Jon Snow standing by yeah. saying, tell him what you did to her. Tell him. We know what that's about. And then, you know, Shireen. And then there it shows Bran and it shows Danny and Tyrion. And nah, that's about it. It's probably going to be lame. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be great. Um, it won't be like this episode, but. I, th- I think it'll be pretty good. This season's been good, right? Amazing. You think we're going to yeah. lose another uh, major character next week? Ooh, maybe Cersei. That would be crazy. Yeah, that would be. All right, I'm calling Duncan back. Send the Raven. <laughs> That's a good idea. Caw. <laughs> Caw. Oh, a bit weird Caw. I'm back. Caw. 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 <laughs> All right, that's our show, episode 26. Thanks for listening, everybody. Before we close it out completely, I just want to tell you, remind some of you guys that our guest, Harry, has a show, Podcast Junkies. Can you just tell us a little bit about that show? Yeah, it's super meta, but it's a podcast. I was on it. It's a podcast where I interview other interesting <laughs> podcasters, and I've actually been a guest on the show, and um, getting close to episode 100. It's been two plus years. Awesome. Yeah. 
got big plans Congratulations. For yeah, I actually was able to wrangle an interview with my guest number one, Chase Reeves. And uh, we had a just a totally random, off-the-cuff conversation <laughs> for an hour and a half. It's a lot of fun. It's really cool. You should check that out, Duncan. I, I've Harry's heard a couple episodes. Of, yeah, it's fun. Oh, good. Yeah. So he's one of my favorite interviewers, and I love that you you have some questions and you do your research but it's also super casual and impromptu and you just kind of let it go where what seems most natural and interesting so it's very cool yeah good stuff that's it podcastjunkies.com is that right Correct. cool and if you want to call us you can call us at 813-563-3739 that's 813 joffrey if you'd like to write in you can email us at game at podcastic.com Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast. Be sure to check out our other great podcasts at podcastica.com. Podcast Junkies is on there. There's a pretty cool Walking Dead podcast on there and some other stuff. Next week on this podcast, we'll have me, David, and Mr. Blog. David Benioff? What? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> no, David as in Mr. Karen. <laughs> nice. All right. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We never demand, but we're up for anything, really. Happy shitting. Oh, happy shitting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that.